0: Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee. We have our head coach, Chad Zimmerman with us today. Hey, everybody. Uh, we have a special guest. (laughs) Chad seems kind of happy. I promise you. He's happy to be here. He's like 296 Um, of these. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, And then we also have a special guest with us here today. It's Santa Cruz's Keegan Swenson and I should say national champion. Keegan Swenson. What's up, man? guys, good to have you back on the podcast. Yeah. Um, Thanks if anybody plays me. the bingo game or the drinking game, you're about to win an easy <laughs> game of bingo, bingo, sure. or you're going to have a rough morning. What are the two Sean, you have been met drinking. drinking all morning?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Have I met him? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, nope, nope. I have no clue who he is. Just glad he's here. Uh, and you are our CEO, Nate Pearson. What's up?
2: Hello. Hey, so, uh, I'm going to hijack for just one second. I was just yep. thinking this morning, and this is a cool thought, like so we're going to talk about bikes for two hours, and this is our job. And not only that, but we get to help people at the same time while we're doing it. We should just yeah. like take a second. And I was thinking about all the other things we could be doing. It's so cool, right? Yeah. And Keegan does oh, yeah. this all the time too. And like, I get to, like I don't know. It's I'm just very appreciative too. And I guess uh, we should thank everyone listening because if we didn't have an audience, I guess we could still do it. But, but, <laughs> but it's a lot more impactful for us too to be able to help people inside of it. So, anyways, very, very cool. Um, Oh, John, you should know too Keegan actually ever stood. Oh, did he really? Yes. <laughs> That's they two bingo that, squares uh, oh, right where? there. He got that world record. Yeah. <laughs> we should did. tell that story sometime. Can we just tell that story really fast? Because it's kind yeah, of a yeah. funny story. Sure. Keegan, can you tell us about Everstein and who ever stood? And you already had a plan and how that all worked out? Oh, yeah. Well,
1: it was uh, For me, it was kind of a last-minute thing. I was just hanging out at home, just pandemic. I was just <laughs> like, well, I'm super fit. And there's this thing I've kind of been thinking about doing. And then, um, yeah, I kind of talked to Jonathan. We kind of nerded out, trying to figure out the the fastest route. And like, I kind of
2: knew Phil gaming. I can't remember if he had done it or if he was doing it. Anyway, I think he, was, he did it. Yeah. You had it planned already before <laughs> he did it. It just happened it at the same time. Yeah. I had a plan. I was like, Oh, I'll do it. I'm gonna do it next Thursday. Cause the road, they were like,
1: like a gated road. I was going to do it on empire pass outside park city. And the road was only gated for like two more days and the road was clear as snow. So I was like, all right, well, it's kind of now or never. Cause that was the road I wanted to do it on. And when it's, when there's no cars, it's like, I'd say that hundred percent safer. So that was kind of a, <laughs> kind of it just kind of sent it. And, um, I actually took the record from Phil before his video came out, which was, kind of hysterical but <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know, poor Not, it wasn't
1: intended to be malicious it's just like the way it worked out
2: so. <laughs> yeah. and then you had it for a while right and then who took it from you
1: yeah i had it for a few months and then lachlan morton took it um by just a little bit a, few, a couple of minutes i think mm-hmm. and then guy in the uk took it and then uh on the east coast I'm blanking out his name right now
0: um, yeah i think Contador took it. Then a dude from the a kid. Yeah, from Contador had it took too. it. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then it's like, been interesting to see like it evolve, like the segments get like more and more perfect, like 15% plus grades, like perfectly straight sea level. So it's like, it's funny to see this whole thing, like evolve from me, just like kind of winging it, flying by the seat of my pants. And then you now <laughs> it's like, you have to have the perfect hill. You have to have the
2: perfect bike. You have to have the perfect plan. Otherwise you're going to be slow. So it's uh, all. cycling, cool. right. It's all the marginal yeah. gains for cycling. And then you did it at exactly. 6,500 feet or something you started, or is it 6,000? Yeah, 5, at the 655? start was at around six something. And I finished close to seven. I don't Every know if lap. you know this, but, uh, elevation does impact. I know he knows this, <laughs> this is, this is done at elevation, joke. right? Nate? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you just like add 5% to your time and that would be, uh, awesome. Anyways, well, would you ever do it again? Maybe if someone found me the perfect segment at sea level. And they just said, if you
1: ride this pace of this climb for six hours and 57 minutes, you'll get the record. Then I would probably do it.
0: Yeah. Cool. Cause but to, to be clear, you're be the that scenario. Yeah. You're also the, the weird sort of person that really doesn't <laughs> mind and actually enjoys that sort of a thing too. So, you know, works out. It's just having the right circumstances. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. That's, that's the hardest part for me. It's like, you got to find the right segment and you got to like, do all these, like doing the math and figure out what's going to be ideal and I just want to go hard, man. That's like, that's yeah. it. Just t- tempo we'll
0: get into can that we, later, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will. Good foreshadowing. Um, can we actually spend some time really quick to talk about what's new with you? Cause a lot has changed, uh, this year for your yeah. racing and your program and everything else. And I forgot to intro you of course, also as monster hydros, Keegan Swenson, um, as well. So that that's still there, but oh, geez, almost everything else in terms of sponsorship seems like it's changed. So what bike are you riding and, uh, what else can you share? That's changed.
1: Yeah, uh, big changes, which I'm excited about. I mean, the last program with the stance pivot team was great. I mean, it was an awesome few years, but sometimes change is good just to mix it up and I'm excited to be assigned with Santa Cruz at the beginning of this year. So be riding Santa Cruz bikes, um, SRAM rock uh, reserve wheels, still Maxxis tires, which I'm really excited yes. about because I love my Aspen. So, yeah, get, get to keep riding that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, Rafa clothing, which is pretty cool. So yeah. Otherwise, it's kind of in the same program. Still be trying to do some epic rides. And well, I guess most of those are canceled this year, but hopefully not <laughs> Oz trails off road, <laughs> yeah. um, the World Cups,
2: and uh, yeah, some other. Big things, yeah. That's. Namely, one <laughs>
0: big thing, yeah. Tokyo, yeah. Uh,
2: Tokyo, Go. yeah. And I also, I really want Keegan to do Leadville <clears throat> and Unbound Gravel because uh, those are both to his strengths, and I think you can mm-hmm. do amazing. And I, I, basically, I want you to win both in the same year, which has never been done. That, that would, would be, be pretty, pretty cool. sweet. Please do that for me. Just
0: like, <laughs> dedicate
2: it on the top. For sure.
0: Um, cool. So, uh, let's get into just a couple of things really quick. Uh, as you can see with the title here, we're going to talk about different ways to raise your FTP and what ways we think the best ways are. We're also going to talk to Keegan about how he trains we're going to get into nutrition and what each of us in kind of a fun lighthearted ways in the rapid fire section and then we're also going to talk about within the rapid fire question but a fun question nonetheless uh which strava segments would we go to if we had no limits basically and um we'll we'll get to that question in a bit but there's a ton more that we're going to cover and Chad has prepared a bunch of deep dives so thanks Chad uh mm-hmm. for all the work that you put into the episode um first i should mention mention go to trainerroad.com check it out sign up get faster also, within that, you can go over there because we, if you go to
2: trainaroad.com slash jobs, we have a job posting too that we want to cover, correct, Nate? Yes, correct. Uh sorry, I'm reading somebody typing at the same time. <laughs> uh software engineer job posting. So we have this is this is a little bit new. So we have mm-hmm. a software engineer posting up on there. And this is for React, React Native, TypeScript, MobX kind of person who knows that. Uh, If you're great at React and don't know React Native, you can still apply because the the crossover is very small. Or if you're great at React Native and don't do a lot of React, which I don't think anyone exists, that's fine. If you don't have mob experience, but you have other uh, experience related to that, that's fine too. So for these engineering positions, what we're doing is we're opening it up uh, (coughs) worldwide. And if you live in Australia or Asia, it might be extremely hard with the time zone. Uh, But Europe, Africa um South America, Canada or all of North America. As long as we can get some kind of overlap with the US office, probably 4 hours and especially a lot of things you could be on East Coast time. Um so for example, you could work with Amber, Amber could be your product manager. You could work on our training side of stuff and uh I don't know, it, it'd be pretty cool and she could just be like say all of her amberisms to you all the time and support <laughs> you and it would be pretty a- amazing. Uh but that job is up, so please apply and uh yeah, hopefully you get some people who are passionate about cycling and they want to join the team. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah.
0: Thanks Nate. And if you go yeah. to trainerroad.com slash jobs, you can actually subscribe to an RSS there. So you get, you get notified anytime we have a job posting open, uh, whether it's engineering, marketing, anything else like that. So design all that stuff. Uh, so go check that out. Also, uh, the successful athletes podcast, we actually have a guest number one, uh, from that app, from that series, that whole podcast series with us today, which is Keegan. And it's crazy now that we've uh, published 37 of those, uh, already. So this last week was gaining 107 Watts and staying motivated with low volume training with Steven Marina. And he actually, so he's a cellar worker in Napa Valley and he talked all. And I just thought it was really fascinating to talk to him about harvest schedules, how all that worked, what his work was like with the wine. And then how that, how he ends up balancing his training because it changes so much like. If it's like, Hey, we got to harvest now because the storm's coming in. We're going to harvest, or it's going to be a heavy winter. We harvest a month earlier. So he really had some great learnings on how we adjust his training and everything else So, check that one out. And then I'm also going to tease something that we have for that podcast. We are going to do a multi-episode series with Amber, where we break down Amber's career in the successful athletes podcast. So that's coming soon. So make sure you subscribe. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. I I don't know everything about her career.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to start early days too, with her swimming and everything else long before she became a cyclist. And then we're going to get to that. So, uh, stay tuned and subscribe to the successful athletes <coughs> podcast for that. Uh, we need to get into the most important part of the podcast right now, which, uh, are, for some reason we've decided that it was beneficial or maybe just fun. And we didn't think about it being beneficial or not to challenge Keegan to entirely too many things. Um, we have, uh, a, a Nate Keegan and I, and Ryan Standish. we have a, a group chat and within that Um, lots of poo-poo talking as Nate says flies. And within that we challenged Keegan to a number of different things. So number one is Nate and Keegan had a challenge. You talked about this on the podcast before Nate, about the first one to do 370 Watts average power for 30 minutes was the goal. Uh, and you were racing to that, to see who could do it first. Uh, Keegan, do we want to just drop the bomb right now? Yeah. I mean, might as well
1: rip Uh, the bandaid off and tell him. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: Wait, let me just say
2: the whole rules first. It has okay. to be, uh, in the hometown at the elevation, starting at least at that. That's we, we, that's what it is. So yeah, you can't go to sea level and, and do it, or you can't do this like average elevation of something it's, you got to. He can either stay in Herber and Heber? be on a trainer, Heber, Heber, yeah. Heber, sorry, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is, <laughs> or he can, uh, I can't, talking is not that important. Um, or you can start there and then climb up. Or go on the flats, but you can't start in, I don't know. Does it have to be in
0: Heber or can it be in a different location where the elevation is equal?
2: Has to be Heber. This, oh, is, part the, Hebrew, this is part of the reason why I, I like, I have all this strategy around it and you know how lawyers write things. This is <laughs> totally on purpose. I know where Keegan's going in the winter and how long he's going to be there and the snow and like uh, how this, okay. and I have the trainer and mm-hmm. this is all part of it. Cause I'm going against a national champ. Like, come on people. Uh, <laughs> so if Keegan were to, if Keegan were to say, the, 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 you can't let people be the judge. It's, it's the rules. <laughs> and, so if Keegan so about to say, well, at sea level, I just did three seventy for thirty. I'm like, good nope. job, good for you. That does not count.
0: That's
1: not
2: true.
0: No. <laughs> Go ahead, Keegan, share it.
1: Well, so I rode, I don't know, most of the way up Mount Lemon till about fifty five hundred feet, which is about my elevation in Heber, and then I started my effort somewhere around that elevation and finished around seven thousand, I think around maybe over seven thousand on Lemon, because Lemon goes up to like eight five or something like that. So I was like, oh, this mm. is a perfect and it finally it was warm, so I can go up that high without freezing on the way down. So I did that yesterday in place of one of my intervals and I did three eighty for thirty. Oh, at elevation. Way.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> About hundred and forty
2: five. Okay, everyone's minds just exploded <laughs> who's listening to this. That is so good, dude. Good for you. So now you have motivation to keep that up for when you move back. <laughs> in the springtime when the snow melts. Uh Nate, how are, are you, you progressing on this? Uh okay. <laughs> <laughs> Super uh, confident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh we uh how when do you move back to Utah?
0: Not till
1: kind of depends on race season and snow, but probably mid-April.
2: Oh, that gives me a lot of time.
1: So you have some time. <laughs> I'm going to take this as like a partial win, especially since I did an yeah. extra 10 Watts. So
2: well, yeah. if I may interject and not to
3: toot my own horn, but toot toot, I did 381 for 55 minutes back in the day.
0: So I oh, beat you guys snap. by like 12 years, dude, you're like, he's already <laughs> 45 pounds heavier, 45 pounds heavier. And at that's still, level. that's still super impressive. Chad. Holy is, cow. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course. Yeah, of course. I'm impressed 370 was the, the goal. <laughs> Yeah, don't, lest lest we forget, podcast listeners that listen to this podcast, you know, they hear Nate, Pete, myself talking about our racing and stuff. It, lest you forget, Chad was an absolute beast. Um, a so, beast. yes, he was um, it was like he, an automatic hundred uh, percent around here. When yeah. Chad would when Chad would roll to the line, there was a hush that fell over the pack. <laughs> That's what happened <laughs> every time. So, <laughs> um, okay, another thing, uh, Keegan, I've I've screwed up on this challenge massively. Uh, I have not followed through with it. I, the most I've gotten is 11 seconds and we have a challenge for you and I to who can do a wheelie for 15 seconds, uh, the soonest. And it was supposed to be in January, yeah, I so I am glad. have
1: you done I'm it? I'm glad, uh, that you kind of dropped the ball on that too. Cause I did as well.
0: Oh, okay, so good. I, I haven't been practicing
1: mistake. aside from like twice. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I've got yeah, some more 11 seconds is the long, I, I, I struggle so bad with the side to side balance on a wheelie. Like I can get it, but it's the side to side. It's not the four aft. That no. part's fine. Just side to side. Absolutely. And then Nate's also challenging him to a Duolingo Spanish learning language challenge. Yeah. I think. So
2: direction. Direction. <laughs> So Keegan, uh Keegan and I are both very super competitive. And Keegan's obviously really good in one realm and I'm good in another realm. And uh I know his, his girlfriend speaks Spanish fluently, and he said, man, I'd like to learn Spanish, and I want to learn Spanish, too, and I want to be fluent. So I challenged him to weekly like how much XP we can get on Duolingo per week. And we both know we're not going to get completely fluent on Duolingo, but it's a great way to get started because um, I think we're probably both like high school, like a couple semesters of high school level right now. Yo soy un hombre, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Um, but just in, in general, um, yes. Keegan has, what, 2,500 XP, and I've got – 18,000. Hey, hey, hey. So. you
1: also started about 30 days before me. So we got, this is subtract, true.
2: well, let you know, okay. So for the last week I have 943 and you have 186. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, there's that too. So I'm, I'm pretty much smoking you, but, uh, I guess we can race to see who can have a conversation with Sophia. Just, you know, she, <laughs> Sophia be, can be the judge. That'd be actually it good.
1: It'd be a good contest. I really struggle with the so, duolingo. I need to stop procrastinating. because I lay in bed at 10 PM. I'm like, Oh dang, I forgot to do my Duolingo and I go out and do like two lessons real quick and I go to sleep.
2: Yeah. You got to start first thing in the morning. So this is what the, 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 the challenge will be who can get to the first where Sophia says, yes, that person can be conversationally fluent in Spanish with her. Dang, That's, That's quite be good. Good enough. It's gonna good, <laughs> good enough. It's going to take Not a like while. Crazy. <laughs> I know, but this is the goal. I mean, We'll that's follow we up do, on right? episode
0: one thousand two hundred and thirty-two, and we'll see how this is going, and we'll see how everyone's progressing. This, this will take a few years. I'm just super glad that we're distracting Keegan with all of these challenges on a really unimportant year, like an Olympic year. So that's that's a good thing. We're really good friends. Um, Cape Epic update that we need to talk about too. Sophia is super fit. She did an FTP test T, FTP test recently. She was chased by dogs, which foreshadowing for this episode. We're going to talk about that later on. Um, but she's she's fast. I think that we can can we share the numbers, Nate? Is that is that? Yeah. I, I ask okay. You. Cool. Awesome. Do you want do you want to share him What she has?
2: Yeah. So her FTP is two sixty seven at fifty five kilograms, which puts her at four point eight five watts per kilo. So let's round that up to four point nine. <laughs> that puts me if I for me to do that for me to keep up with her on the climbs at Cape Epic, I have to be a four hundred seventeen watt FTP which isn't happening at all. Uh, Uh,
0: Is this worrying to you at all Nate or no, because of the nature of Cape epic?
2: No. Uh, despite what some of you might say, Sophia's like, you're my teammate. I'm going to be supportive. I understand. I'm going to go faster than you on the climbs. Like we're a team. Let's do it together. And Mm -hmm. like, she's like, "It doesn't, it makes us go slower. If I try to shell you Mm -hmm. the other thing Mm -hmm. that I, uh, that we are planning Mm -hmm. on doing and schedules might be an issue is there is a BCBR. Did I say that right? Yeah. Um, gravel race coming up before Cape epic where it's five days of gravel and there is a mixed category. So, you know, both of our schedules might fill up, but we're going to sign up for that and we're going to try to race that and win that if we can. And that would be awesome because that shouldn't, I should not be slowed down by very much technical skills on that. And I believe team honey and thunder, will you show up?
3: Yeah, that's the plan. You just suggested it to us yesterday, but I'm interested. I like everything about it and I like its timing relative to Cape epic. So
2: yeah. And the days are like uh, 60 miles at the top. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a way easier than Cape epic. And then I hopefully maybe Brandon and Amber will want to go too. And we can have a little bit of mm. a f- like a slow preview down. of, yeah. And I think they would actually have a bigger advantage there because there will be no tech skill to slow down Amber. She'll just fly on gravel probably faster mm-hmm. than me. Cause if she is like no fear in her brain.
0: That's, and so that, and that's an actual gravel race. Uh, so yes. are you going to ride gravel bikes or because of Cape Epic, are you going to ride your mountain bike? What, gravel what's, what's the point? hundred yeah. percent. Cause you want to win. want to go fast. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And this is, should not be unless, cause you know how the Canadians are like, it could be a mountain bike course where they put us on, <laughs> on gravel yeah. bikes. And if that's the case, I'm getting the bike like overnighted after stage <laughs> one uh, and we yeah. can all ride mountain bikes. I'm just going to bring I'm, it now.
0: I'm uh man, I'm looking ahead to next September. Podcast scheduling is going to be complex because I'm going to be racing single track six early in the month, and then a week of vacation, and then you guys are going to be racing this one, I think, the next week in BC. So we should just move to Canada, I guess, is the answer. Um, let's get into a question first from Rose, and this one uh, I'm glad that we have you on here, Keegan, for this one. Rose says, "Hello, Trainer Road Crew, and thank you so much for answering my question about training for the Pisgah Stage Race in Episode 281." Our pleasure rose. She says, since then I've purchased a smart trainer and have started structured training with Trainer Road. And in just the last couple of months, I've increased my FTP by 34 watts. Way to go. Nice. She says also I've been able to do be more consistent with training, even right now during these winter months of bad trail conditions. And we currently have a terrible freeze thaw cycle and process making our trails unrideable. Yeah, if she's in North Carolina, that would be sketchy because there's a lot of rocks. And if your rocks are freezing and thawing, oh, that would be yeah, that's that's terrifying. I did my first mountain bike race in November and one of the the biggest sources of discomfort among many things were my hands cramping and becoming fatigued from long descents from my training, or she says for my training, I'm trying to incorporate more race simulations type rides that she says in quotes, where I take fewer rest stops to try to build this type of strength, but usually on the long descent, we stop multiple times to regroup and make sure everyone made it through the technical section safely. During a recent episode, Amber mentioned doing grip strength exercises. <clears throat> I was wondering if Amber could share how she's working on this or any other tips on how to endure these long descents. Thanks so much for everything that you do. So, um, Amber's not with us today. Um, but we're going to go into a lot of this and, and I know that she (coughs) agrees that this is the way that we would want to cover it. So she's, she's in support of this for sure. So, um, something to, I guess, add to this one, Uh, I guess, right off the top, Chad, you might want to jump in on this, but a lot of the time it's Misattribution happens in particular with fatigue and any sort of limitation in this sort of scenario. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I don't think, uh, my
3: opinion is that strength isn't the limiter here, but I'm going to answer the question as though it were. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's, let's move forward thinking that you do need to work on your grip strength. And, uh, my first recommendation would be if strength training isn't already a part of your routine, make it part of your routine and in doing so you really don't have to give much attention to improving your grip strength. If you are engaging in what I term proper strength training and I'm not trying to make fun of machines. I'm not, I understand they, they have relevance in certain situations. They do, but they don't do anything for your grip. You need to pick up heavy stuff and you need to do it with hands that are are capable of holding onto those things. So simply moving through a, a properly constructed strength training routine two even three times a week, whatever it may be and lifting and moving heavy things will take care of your grip strength. I mean, especially as it relates to hanging onto mountain bike bars, which, you know, the other fellows are going to get to this later. I I think you have different issues here, but uh, if anything, this is more of a strength endurance issue. And you just, like I said, regular strength training, voila, it's going to take care of it. Um, on top of that, if you do still feel like this is a limiter and you need to improve how firmly you can grip, whatever, there are tools that, uh, work actually quite well. There are these fat grips they're, uh, spelled with a Z and you can put them on anything, a barbell, dumbbells, whatever, and they just make the grip wider. I use them because I do like, uh, even those renegade pushups we've described before where you're on your hands, that's a lot of weight to put on a narrow tube. And, and it uh-huh. has given me some pretty sore palms in the past. So I use those for things like that. I also use, uh, a lot of people do the, what are term chubby bars. If you're a rogue fan, rogue equipment, they call them axles and they have a stubby axle and a wide axle, but they're really thick bars. They're, they're hard to hang on to. You do a set of deadlifts with a regular bar grips, probably not a limiter for most of us working with bike guy strength you grab a stubby bar and try to hang on to that for a set. And by the end of it, your forearms are about as fatigued as you know, your, your posterior chain. And then they also have a thing called a wrist roller. And there's, there's one that you can actually peg to a a rack and then, and then the other simpler version of it, you just hold up and you just roll a weight, whether it's a kettlebell, a dumbbell, whatever, just something heavy. And you just roll your hands like you're throttling a a motorcycle uh, accelerator And then you just roll it back down. So those specifically target the grip if you feel that the grip is the issue. And then anecdotally, I have noticed that, uh, hanging onto mountain bike handlebars are too narrow for, for my hand size. It it just doesn't work out. So I, I finished too many rides with exactly what you're describing here. And all I did was go to fatter grips. In particular, um, wolf tooth makes grips called fat paws and mega fat paws. And I bought both of them and found that my, my sweet spot was the, the regular size fat paws, and I've had no issues since they're just a little fatter and I don't have to over, over squeeze the bars. And that's taken care of this very same issue that I was experiencing.
2: Before we get into John, into the other stuff, I want to talk about two other exercises that I find mm-hmm. very good for uh, grip strength. One is, and, and Keegan, you and Sophia do this too, actually. And I think a lot of cyclists are hex bar deadlifts. Do you like, is this part of your strength plan? I'd say that's, I mean, as far as like
1: heavy work goes, like squats, deadlifts, um, hex bar deadlifts, I probably use the hex or trap bar. If you want to call it that, um, probably 90% of the time, maybe 80%. Um, so I definitely use that more than a regular barbell and I do more deadlifts and squats. And I think, I think you're right. There's something about the hex bar that like it's like harder to hold onto because you can't do like the reverse, like sumo grip on it or that's called, I think that's called sumo grip. It's
3: a, it's a neutral grip position, right? Yeah. It's a neutral grip. grip.
1: So you're just holding on the side. Um, I just, I like it for my back. I think it's a little bit safer. Um, and you just like focus on the lift itself and you're not trying to worry about scraping your shins or whatever on it. But yeah, I do think it's really good for your grip grip strength. And then I see you have, uh, the farmer carries as well, which is you kind of walk with it. You can also carry the hex bar around and like walk with it. Um, you load it up with however much weight you can kind of hang on to and just kind of cruise around. And, um,
2: yeah, that's cruising helpful (laughs) (laughs) or you can just, you can also pick up dumbbells and to combine these, you can do the fat grips on dumbbells and try to Mm -hmm. walk and hold those. And that is extremely hard, but the hex bar or trap bar deadlifts. The thing that I like about these more than regular deadlifts for cyclists are that it you've, uh, so regular deadlifts are more your posterior chain. So like you'll feel more in your hamstrings, your glutes, your back, um, which is important. But, uh, the hex bar, I feel it myself way more in my quads and I still get some back, but I also kind of feel it in my, uh, my, my traps too, which is a you know, strap bar. I'm not actually doing shrugs, but that is a limiter for me is like the, the strength up above my shoulders. I get tired on rides. Usually that's the first thing that gets tired. And this has helped me, uh, get a little stronger than that. So I've switched my routine from deadlifts to the hex bar deadlifts completely. And I've really liked it. Chad,
3: I am actually glad you brought that up because the, the beauty of a deadlift is it it can be tweaked in so many ways to target so many different things. Um, I, I kind of take issue with hex bar deadlifts because they call themselves deadlifts and they're more akin to a squat. When you consider that they're more, they're more quad intensive. They don't do a heck of a lot for the posterior chain. If you think of the amount of hinging that takes place when you, are basically pulling from or behind the knees. That's all quad, which for a quad exercise, I think it's a very good one. It's definitely very safe for the back, but if you even load a squat bar in a low back position, you're getting more hinging and more, more posterior stress than you get from hex or uh, trap bar deadlifts. So I do like them as an exercise. I do wish they weren't named deadlifts.
2: Yeah, I feel <laughs> like the closest thing they uh, the thing they're closest to is a, um, front squat Yeah, because that's, Agreed. but front squats take a lot of technique. And, uh, they can be extremely hard to get right where hex bar, man, you just, it's, it's pretty easy not to mess that up. And to Keegan's point, it's, True. I think a lot easier to be safer as long as you don't like round your back for some reason, uh, to just lock it in and do it. And two, uh, another way to be safe for cyclists, you could do the 10, 15, 20 reps, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I, I have no science to back this up, but I personally think there's maybe some benefit to that for cycling of doing high rep stuff, but like that is such an anecdote anecdote and not bro. It's Like I, I, can we edit this out? Okay. (laughs) No,
3: actually don't because I think anytime you talk, talk about pushing toward those higher rep ranges, just don't even look at it as
0: strength, look at it as durability. You're trying to create a more durable body and it does exactly that. And something to add to this too, Nate, you alluded to this, but I just want to kind of cement it is, and Keegan, like what you're saying, the reason that you want to lower risk with your strength training. Cause that's not priority. Number one, like it would be a shame if your cycling was compromised because you were lifting and you didn't have a trap bar and then you had bad technique on one of the lifts, and you ended up like throwing your back out, you know, like that, that would suck. That would be, that's, he can't go to work because of that. Right. Uh, so you can't really afford to do that. So for a lot of us listening, that's why this can also be really helpful. It's not an excuse to have bad technique. You can still have great technique. It's just a different movement. Um, it's substantially different with, with the bar. So So
2: I have a question for Keegan. What would you say to me if I tell you at the end of my descents, my hands, I can like just peel them off because I was gripping them so hard and my hands hurt.
1: I'd say you're grabbing the bars too tight. That'd be the biggest thing. And maybe you need to play with your grips as well. Like Chad was mentioning, he likes like the fat paws or mega paws, like for me, I used to use the racers, the ESI racer's edge, like the skinniest, smallest, lightest grips. Then I went up just like one size, just to the chunky and like all oh, my hand pain got better. Just like that little bit bigger diameter, of your hands, you don't have to hang on as tight, you have a little more contact. Um, the other thing I think that's like overlooked a lot is like how close your brakes are to your bar. And if your brakes are like, you're having to reach a long ways with your finger, I think it creates more strain in your forearm. So if you can get more finger wrap around your brake. Like instead of grabbing the brake lever, like right at your first knuckle, like try and grab it a little more in the center, and you have a little more wrap on it. And I think it creates less tension throughout your whole forearm when you're braking, especially on long descents when you're grabbing the brakes hard for a long time. Um, that seemed to make a big difference for me. I can't remember who told me that. But I learned it quite a few years ago, and it made a big difference in like arm pump and like pain while descending. So there's a small
0: tip. Something else to add to that too is if your brakes are the sort of so <clears throat> we're getting more into like like Chad said, his assumption isn't the fact that grip strength is as much the limiter. Um, but we're gonna, you know, we we kind of approached it from that perspective. Now we're gonna get into a lot of the context of what we think why you're experiencing hand and arm fatigue on the bike. And one of the things just since you mentioned brakes there too, Keegan, is some brakes will have lever reach adjust, and then that brake will also have brake pad contact adjust. So those two things need to be adjusted appropriately, like because of each other, they need to be related. So like an example of that is you can adjust your lever reach so that it comes really far in, but then you have to think about it. You just have less distance that your lever can travel before it hits the grip. So as a result, if you do run your brakes like that, and you do have the luxury of being able to adjust where your pads make contact or how soon they make contact with the rotor, you're going to want, want to run them a lot closer to that rotor. So then that way you don't find yourself in the situation of using your brake and then it's that brake lever is hitting your other fingers on the grip or smashing up against the grip because then you're not going to have braking power. And I promise you that will be much worse than
1: <laughs> making
0: your know, having and sore hands.
1: I think also making sure that your brakes are far enough in that assuming you're braking with one finger, which most you can on a if you have hydraulic disc brakes, that's like you don't need you don't need more than one finger. <laughs> so making yeah. sure your brakes are far enough in on the on the bike on your handlebars that when you pull them, they're only going to, they're not going to hit any of the other fingers. And that like, you only get one finger on there. I think that, and that way you get more leverage on it as well. So it's like yeah. you, if you're grabbing at the very end of the lever, you can get more leverage on the lever and you're not having to work as hard to pull it.
0: So. Yeah. To rephrase that when your index finger should just be at the outer little hook of your lever, exactly. that's where it should be. It shouldn't be anywhere in board from that. So.
2: I got two things. One pretty embarrassing, but when I first started mountain biking, I was so scared. I literally had three fingers on the brakes. (laughs) (laughs) I was ready just to claw those things down and they were hydraulic. Yeah. uh, That was probably really dangerous too. I mean, it was really dangerous, but two, um, what in my experience, Rose, what I find is if, if I am completely scared, my hands are, I grip that bar so tight and my hands hurt after the descent, but if I am not scared and I am comfortable. I've got what John says is, uh, he tells me if you got like a paper towel roll, you like just the, or a toilet paper roll, just the cardboard in the middle, you should be able to hold it like that without crushing it. And this is, there's a, I think John in a second is going to talk about this thing called arm pump and Enduro and where you're really pushing around. That's different from XC racing where I think normally there's not so much need to grip extremely hard. And even so on the same trails where I was probably stronger before, when I first started, uh, mountain biking. But I was just so scared. I grip it hard. And now that I'm, those trails aren't scary to me anymore. I just kind of flow through them. And it's, it's really, it's, I, I think Rose, that was probably the the best, the biggest change for me is just consciously being gripping a little bit uh, less.
0: I find that I get, I, I find the same thing, Nate. And when I get scared, I get I'm usually scared. having, yeah. And when I'm, when I'm nervous, I usually it's because I have bad technique. And that's why the riding experience is scaring me right now. I could just also be riding way over my head on the terrain. And that's one thing, but also in those moments, if I have bad technique, I grip harder. And that's because I'm not in the right position to be able to ride my bike in a balanced way. So then I compensate with trying to grip too hard with my hands and my arms. And then that ends up creating a cascading effect that then makes everything else worse because then you're gripping too hard with your arms and you can't feel them and your technique actually gets even worse. And then it's just a a downhill slide. I'm sure that uh, some of you listening to this are really familiar with. So for for me, I, I find that if I am not really making sure I have good technique and revisiting that and consciously thinking about it when I'm riding, this doesn't happen when I'm racing, for example, I'm not thinking like consciously technique, technique, but in the times to practice and train, I'm really focused on making sure that I have the right technique and I think about it a lot. And if I do that, I'm just going to be riding the bike better. And I'm not going to feel like I have to grip as hard, um, with arm pump. That's something. And and you actually mentioned the wrist roller, Chad, the best way for a person to feel what arm pump is, is to use a wrist (laughs) roller, right? Um, Mm -hmm. when you use those and you keep going and it feels like your forearms are about to burst and you actually lose like a lot of hand strength. Like you can, in your brain, you're gripping as hard as you can, but if you actually feel how hard you're gripping, (laughs) your hands are hardly able to grip. Um, And I I don't know the actual science behind all of it, but the bro science behind this is that it has to do with excess blood flow to the region. And then as a result, your body isn't able to deal with that or operate as efficiently for one reason or another. And I have no clue if that's correct. Um, but it feels absolutely debilitating and it can be really scary. And in Rose's case, when she's riding back East Nate, it's so different than what we ride right out here in the West. So it doesn't even have to be a really long descent. If it's chunky and slippery and Rudy and Rocky, that's a lot tougher. Like your, your fatigue per foot on the trail is just way higher as a result of that, um, Keegan, have you ever dealt with that sort of a thing, like the sort of hand fatigue where it's like debilitating in a cross country race?
1: Um, man, not, I wouldn't say like a normal cross country race. I've definitely had that fatigue in like longer marathon style races. But I think mm-hmm. since I've incorporated more strength training into my like normal training routine, I feel like that's almost been eliminated, uh, mm-hmm. which has been the last few years. Uh, so I think that's also that's been the biggest difference for me is just incorporating like regular strength training in. So I think mm-hmm. the technique, like like back to what you said, when I mean, it gets hard or technical, and sometimes you get scared, like I do, and gripping harder for a second, and that's mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad. That just what happens, you know. Um, and I think having stronger forearms and stronger like just overall grip strength i think that helps kind of compensate for that poor technique here and there that just inevitably happens um but yeah when it happens to me it's normally like in six like super wet rocky rooty stuff where like sure you want to be relaxed and like like try and go with it but you end up just kind of end up just gripping harder. i think maybe that's something that i'm not super comfortable with like relatively speaking some racers i get to do it a lot um i'm not bad at it but i'm not as proficient as some so i think for me that's one area of like I get a little bit stressed out and I end up like over gripping and kind of like overcompensating in other areas. So, um, yeah, I've dealt with it, just try and like, and then when it happens, I notice. I'm like, okay, just relax. Like it's fine. You're just riding your bike. Just don't grab, don't grab as hard. Don't
2: grab the brakes as hard. And just like let it flow. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, so I can relate. <laughs> Did that happen? Uh, world champs. Wasn't there a lot of like rocky loose it's stuff bloody. there too? yeah yeah those descents were so
1: short though that it was a little a little different like you don't get your time you don't have enough enough time on the descents to have your hands to really like load up i think because the descents were only i mean 15 seconds long so you're just kind of shooting down and maybe i was over gripping i probably was because it was super super slick (laughs) um but it's so short that like i didn't relax on the climb and i think the other thing to think about too is when you're climbing you can change your hand position around so like it helps like you roll your thumbs up on top. You can hang on the edge of the grips, just like move your hands on the grips. And just like, even though you're climbing, it would still like takes fatigue off that area of your palm and you can roll your thumbs around. That helps like change your wrist position. It helps with everything. So I think just doing that, even if it's for like two minutes on the climb and then you have to reset for the descent, it just gives your thumbs and everything a little bit, a few minutes to relax and kind of chill out before you death grip your way down the next, <laughs> the next descent. So,
0: Yeah. One thing too, that I've found that's helped is, is going away from foam grips that don't have a lot of traction on them and then switching over to more traditional grips. I use the ODI, um, elite pro I lock on grip, I think it's called. Um, and then I also, if you're, if grips have things called waffling on them, which looks like a waffle pattern, it's like large kind of squares that are raised and stand off from the, from the grip. Those are for situations where you get mud packed in, like you've crashed, you've landed in the mud and your gloves are just covered in mud or your grip gets covered in mud. And it, those are allowed, they're intended to give you traction in those scenarios, and that's why they have the big relief with those squares. (coughs) But I, they're actually really bad for giving you like a firm gripping surface or reliable gripping surface. So if you have those things on there and you feel like you're really gripping extra hard, you can take a razor blade and just shave those off carefully. And if you can shave those off of your grip, then your grip doesn't have this disconnection slip plane in between your hand and the actual grip itself. So I found that that was an issue. And ever since I switched to those grips, I've been able to relax my hands substantially. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all, it's all about testing and figuring it out. But one thing that I I really do think with this is if you are not used to descending and you haven't spent a lot of time in it, you will experience this more regularly if you have spent time doing it. So that's another thing. Like a lot of people will go to, uh, some sort of descent. That's really long and they're not used to it. And they'll be like, oh, I've got debilitating hand fatigue. Well, you should expect to have something like that. If it's something your body is not used to. We talk about this with everything, with training It's stimulus, right. And it's making sure that your body is prepared for what sort of load it's going to face on, on race day. So that's a really important thing to have Nate. Sorry.
2: Yeah. Um, there's a question about what, what training phase to include strength training in. And excuse me, we're a little bit, um, so our perspective is this is something to be a healthy individual. You should do year round. And especially if you're a master's men or women, as you get older, this is extremely important and, uh, it's going to have benefits. It's going to have benefits just in how you feel on the bike, but also health benefits in general. And, uh, if you want to, uh, rule of thumb would be in the base phase, if you really want to kind of add weight that would be the time and then and build in specialty just maintain and you don't mm-hmm. need to really you don't need that's something i fall on a trap in all the time as you see your ftp and then you see your your uh your hours then you see how much you you're lifting and you're like i could raise all of these all at the same time <laughs> and it does kind of take away from training if you try to really you know stack the the reps up and the volume so if you just kind of maintain it you can you can still be very strong i think this is what keegan's strategy is too um i like to hear keegan i think. Chad just raises hand to and wants to say something and probably tell me I'm wrong.
3: No, no, no. I actually want to agree with everything you said. And I just want to emphasize that you, we, we commonly say, if you're really going to indulge in weight training, do so in the base training, because base training is typically lower intensity and you can get away with adding this type of work on top of the pile, but. We push the whole sweet spot approach to base training and that's not low intensity. It's pretty taxing. And if you pile weight training on top of it, it can, it can quickly lead to too much of a training load. So when possible, I like people to start this as early as their, their pre-training phase. So if you're taking a, an interim stage between last season and next season, and you've got a month's break or a month where you're riding lightly, this is a good time to indulge in the strength training a little more than you might all might otherwise. And then even when you head into base, that might be where you start to transition more back toward a maintenance phase, simply because even our base phase is still pretty hefty.
0: It uh, also, so this voice. is, this is something you do, right? And sorry, Nate, we we're probably thinking on the same yeah. pathway here. Um, <laughs> this is something you, ch- you strength train year round, but you also periodize it, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. For so I work training. with the strength coach, um, who car fit out of salt lake. And, uh, so he's got my strength training. I'll periodize generally like the preseason is like when I'm off the bike completely, I'll just like, I think a week off the gym, just kind of reset and I'll start easing back into it lightweight and then it's kind of goes with the bike programs like base season is like heavy. Like it's we're building in a gym and trying to get that like max <clears> weight up. Like I'll do lots of like 70%, 80%, even 90% of max lifts. Um, and as it gets, as the bike training gets like more intense than the gym training, Taylor's back it doesn't necessarily back off intensity, but it changes to more like, um, more like high force, I guess, or more speed. So more box jumps, like lighter weights with more like, but more explosive. I and mean, maybe mm-hmm. I'm not going quite as deep in the, the squat or whatever, but it's like a more explosive up. Um, mm-hmm. so we just kind of change it that way. And then obviously on like rest weeks, we'll back the gym off a little bit, still m- maintaining, but just like make sure you're getting proper rest and not going too heavy. But it is a year round program for me. And I think as long as you kind of tailor it right to go with the bike training, it should, like you should never interfere with your on the bike work. I think it should complement it. I'm sure there's some days where you're like, wow, I'm, pretty clapped right now. I don't know if I can do the gym, but like, you just like, I think once you kind of get warmed up, you're always fine. And as long as like you make, make sure there's space between your hard days, like you wouldn't want to do a hard bike workout, hard gym workout that evening and then like expect to have a good bike workout the next day. So like you kind of have to plan ahead to like know how to stack those days and like look at your training week and say, Oh, I'm going to do gym on my tempo day or my sweet spot day. And then I'm going to have a day off the next day or a rest day. And then I can do my really intense work on the, like the day after that. So I think you have to kind of like plan ahead and figure out which day it's going to fit best with training, but mm-hmm. I didn't oh, I never miss a gym day for the most part. Yeah, I,
3: I do want to, one thing I forgot to bring up is that uh, another reason I like to push strength training in the base phase, whether it's sweet spot or a, or a lower and slower approach is that base phase is a good time to make mistakes? So if you find out that you're doing too much lifting and it's bearing you and too much fatigue on top of the training you're doing on the bike, this is the time where you can figure those things out, cut back so that they don't trickle into your your later phases.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, uh, go ahead. I just maintain two a week uh, is what I do. Two strength training sessions a week, and they last usually thirty to forty minutes long. Um, And it's not like I'm doing a CrossFit set where I'm like, boom, move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. You know, that's not the goal. I get plenty of that sort of metabolic work on the bike. Right. So Mm -hmm. I don't need to then bring that over Instead, it's about making sure that I'm doing movements properly and focusing on technique. And and it's not, and it's almost all body weight for me. Um, well, once we get our gym built and everything else in our garage, then we'll actually have, you know, stuff to do more, but. You can just do so much in terms of like the productivity for this sort of thing. And actually tying this back to Rose's question, um, holding the right technique on a bike is hard. Like if you watch our video that we did with Lee McCormick, where we talked about how to be a, be a faster mountain biker, you can look that up on our YouTube channel you can see us going like, oh, wow, that's how you have to like, that's the position you have to hold. And just us doing that. I remember Chad, you and I were like. We're fried and we haven't even gotten on the bike yet because we were mm-hmm. using his rip row machine. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's hard to hold that. And, uh, strength training from like Keegan mentioned, um, art, uh, from woo car fit from, from Utah, which train road user as well. Awesome guy. And hopefully going to be on the successful athletes podcast soon. Um, but art it knows how to design strength training for cyclists. And that's just a really important thing. Like you can't just go to some person that has never understood the demands that a mountain biker or a cyclist faces, and then have them build a strength training plan for you. It should be something that's complementary. So, um, you have to seek out that sort of, uh, expertise, I think to be able to have like a, a really productive, um, training experience where you're doing strength training and marrying that with a bike and I do my strength training. And then the next day, so I do mine on Wednesdays usually. And then I have Thursday is my easy day on the bike. So then that way I don't tack it on to my Thursday and suddenly my easy day is just a hard day because I did strength training and, you know, still a bike workout. And then I tack mine on at the end of my week, which is Saturday. And that's Saturday is when I do my last strength training session. I try to space them out too, because there've been plenty of times where I'm like, Oh, I'll just do it two days in a row. I feel fine. And then the next day after that, or two days later, I really feel the fatigue. So it's important to, to space that out. We went into I strength training way more than I thought that I know, we would, but, but I think it's love- good.
2: Strength training, nutrition, we just do that all day long. I want to say two more (laughs) tips and then ask Keegan what he does. But so I fall in the trap of doing too much. Like probably I've probably done that like 15 times and, uh, too much strength training. And the thing that I've found, and this is based on some science that I read that's really helped me is that I leave, um, reps in the tank and that's the, the bro science. But I used to go, especially in college, like if you're not shaking on that last one and you do like. (laughs) Um, I feel like negative sets. I've got the name of them, but where you, you like, you kind of get them up and then you slowly let it go like Mm -hmm. down and you're really doing it. And I would do drop sets and I would just try to annihilate myself. And (laughs) if that was the only thing that I was doing, that would probably be fine. But I find that if let's say I'm doing bench press and, uh, my target is 15 reps, but maybe I could really do, uh, 18 if I I could do 18, if I had to, but I stop at 15 and there is this. Uh, effective reps kind of, I think that's the name of it idea, uh, in, in bro science where, Hey, those last two reps is where you're going to get hundred percent of the gains. And if you don't go to those last two reps, you're not going to get the gains. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not true. You get gains from not like the whole time and you don't have to go at the end. And that just doesn't fry my nervous system as much. Uh, I recover better and that's amazing. And my second tip. And so Keegan, I'm going to ask you about how, how deep you go, um, when you're lifting. And my second tip is the the hex bar. Man, I saw a TikTok on this and it is hex bar uh overhead press. It's it sounds crazy, but I have it is it targets my shoulder so well. The range of motion is insane and uh I I am just loving it. And then hex bar rows too. There's something about that neutral grip and getting them outside a little bit uh wider that's hitting my back really well. So my current strength training program I do full body every time I'm doing two sets each time, but I do, uh, hex bar deadlifts or hex bar overhead, press hex bar row, and then bench press. So those are all kind of like pretty compound movements. I don't really need to do these accessory things. I leave a little bit in the tank, but my strength is going up. Um, I'm looking better and all that stuff, but it's not impacting, uh, my cycling either at the moment. Yes. Uh, sorry, Chad, you want to see something? Okay.
3: Three very quick things. First off hex bar, no lie is a great piece of equipment. Fully agree. Secondly, the effective reps is showing itself to be some nonsense, just like Nate said, and additionally, what he was describing is reps in reserve, So RAR. So if you're interested in that, look it up. You don't have to push yourself to failure and bury yourself in fatigue in this in the weight training room. Chad, how do
2: you like my little full body routine of a row overhead press, a bench press and a squat?
3: I'm gonna order a hex bar. It's a great idea. Yeah.
0: (laughs) He loves it. Uh Keegan, can you give people an idea like Nate's question there? Like what is the feel that you're going (laughs) for in terms of like uh completely blowing yourself out being one end of the spectrum and then hardly touching anything for the for the weights or with weights. What are you looking to feel at the end of your strength training?
1: I mean, kind of goes back to like number one rule in gym is like don't get hurt. So start there. That's like the number one thing. Like Mm -hmm. on the bike. I'll push myself till I fall over and pass out on the pavement. That's like no problem, you know, but in the gym, I feel like we always leave quite a bit in the tank. Um, I'm sure there's some days where like, it's really like we're doing like 80 or 90% max deadlifts. And we're really trying to like knock out those three reps and like, it's hard, but I still feel like I could do a little more. I could add like 10 more pounds or maybe I could add one more rep, but like I never push to the point where like I'm shaking and I can't pick the bar up again. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, it's really, it gets really difficult, but I think as long as you maintain good form and you like kind of realize like, okay, this is as far as I'm going to push. I'm not going to like test myself to do like, oh, I really want to deadlift 300 pounds today. It's like some days it's just, it's not going to happen. And then you have to realize that and be like, okay, I'll just do 290. It's fine. Like, it's not a big deal. It's 10 pounds. Like you just kind of let your ego go. And it's sure There's even some days where like, I'll skip reps. I'll be like, okay, this is it. Like the bike workout was more taxed than I thought. So I'm just not going to do, I'm only going to do four instead of five of these reps. So I think you should be really mindful in the gym. And even though I might have like four by four deadlifts on the plan, if I'm not, if it's not driving and I'm not feeling like, Oh, I can knock this out of the park today. Like I just don't do it or I'll like tone back the weight, like 10 pounds. So it kind of depends. Like some days I'll like text art and I'll be like, Hey man, like feeling pretty blown out. Should I do the same weight and less reps or should I just do less weight and same reps? And he'll tell me, kind of tell me what to do depending on what the goal of the workout is. Um, but I think that's like really important is to, make sure your technique is there. Or like sometimes I'll, I'll be lifting with Sophia or Ryan. Like, Hey, you mind watching my technique. I'm starting to get a little tired. I want to make sure I nail this. Otherwise I'm just not going to do it. So, like, you have to pay a lot mm-hmm. of attention to all that stuff and just be mindful, like, cause you can easily blow your back out. If you're doing, you know, even 70, 80% deadlifts or squats, whatever. Like that's number one goal in the yeah. gym is you're meant to get stronger and make yourself more durable. You don't want to go hurt yourself.
0: So for sure. Yeah. Um, and. In retrospect, I feel like we should have just picked two questions this week. Uh, we have a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, we, so, we can table a couple of those till subsequent yeah, weeks. That's fine with me. I, I tabled the later ones, Chad. Um, but I want to get into this next one from Cody, uh, because I feel like this is a fantastic premise of a question to, to address here it says, Hey, trainer road team! I've been cycling more seriously for a little over a year now. How or a little over a year now, however, with not much structured training. <laughs> Ch- Chad, can't, put in parentheses. Call trigger. training if it doesn't have structure. Sorry, <laughs> what Ain't is it, that true? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's just right, riding uh, a bike. That's the, that's just, the tag. Yep. Yeah. And sleeping without the chillo is, is just resting your eyes. Right? So, um, (laughs) slow, long group rides are my endurance work two days and faster, short group rides fill my intensity needs. Ooh, that's so tricky. I see a lot of people say that they're like, yeah, well, I don't do training anymore because I do this group ride and it's really intense. The, the point of structure isn't to make things intense and hard. It's to make things precise and structured. Because that's how you can, if you can have a precise approach, you can get precise outcomes, right? If you don't, then it's just left up to the whims of whatever that group ride wants to do to you that day. So, um, like most I am looking to get stronger and that's Cody, why you should look at structure. So Cody says, everyone talks about how to raise your FTP and I've heard many different answers to how to raise mine, whether it be from fellow riders from online sources. I always thought to raise your FTP you need to spend more time in zone 4 uh meaning the threshold zone is what he's talking about here uh base riding included he says uh and then um so I assume he's talking about doing threshold amidst like base like low long steady stuff so way Chad? I take
3: it yeah yeah I'm guessing but I think so
0: Okay, got it. Um, so that's his assumption. He says, however, some suggest that high intensity interval training is equal, if not more effective in raising one's FTP, which confuses me as you don't spend any time in zone four, but at, it, these are his words, but at high power outputs, which range from 15 seconds, uh, 15 second sprints to five minute efforts. Um, it would be great if you could clear this up, uh, or clear up this doubt. If I have, as I have, <laughs> because I'm sorry, people speaking is hard today. Uh, he says, it'd be great if you could clear this up are because I haven't heard anyone back this claim up by science. Thanks a lot guys. And really enjoy the podcast. Okay. So, um, I get kind of triggered whenever people use the term hit because it's, I see it used very incorrectly across the internet in many different scenarios. And then there's this whole concept that, um, people say that you do one or the other, and as a result. That's how you get there. Um, Chad, we have a lot to break down on this one.
3: <laughs> a ton. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try to be quick about it, but this is a really good question and it's relevant to pretty much everybody. So Cody, mm-hmm. first off, I want to give you a, a, a warm welcome to the world where everyone's an expert. You've made it clear <laughs> that you're open to suggestion. So you're going to get advice that ranges from spot on to complete garbage. So enjoy differentiating, which is which, okay, so I'm going to try to lean more toward something productive here, something closer to spot on. And I want to make this a little more basic than, uh, I just don't want to get too deta- detailed, with it and dilute the point that I'm trying to make. So the goal really is to increase your aerobic power. Um, you may have heard that term does build a bigger aerobic engine. So <laughs> FTP is the height of your aerobic capabilities. You go a little bit harder and your time gets really limited. You go way harder. It becomes too anaerobic. Your time gets really limited. And when you increase your FTP, all you're doing is increasing that aerobic power. That's really what we're after. And I like the term aerobic power because when we start throwing acronyms and fancy scientific terms like map, which is max aerobic power and VO two max, and even aerobic capacity, we start to, I think, lose the plot a bit because what we're after is oxidative capabilities. And yeah, that does sound a bit sciency, but that is very descriptive in what we're looking for. We want to use oxygen to fuel or in part to be, to be part of the fueling process of driving the pedals. So oxidative capabilities. Now a term I don't like is one that's bandied about quite a bit and it's applicable is that there's more than one way to skin a cat. Every coach has said this at least a hundred times, I'm sure. So if you look at long, slow distance training that achieves increases in oxidative capabilities via time, via duration. You go with VO two max intervals. It doesn't matter whether they're on offs, whether they're a little more traditional in nature and you go two, three, four, even five minutes. They can be highly varied. If you think of those, uh, reduced amplitude bill outs, all sorts of ways to, to, ramp up your oxygen intake, even anaerobic repeats where we're way up 130, 140, 150% of your threshold. If you do them in an on off nature, or perhaps you start a more sustained interval with a hard start again, there's a big shift towards improving your oxidative capabilities. Sprint intensity training, as you mentioned, little 15 second, 20 second, 30 second sprints with long recoveries may not seem like it, but if you stack those close enough together and those long recoveries aren't too long, they become increasingly aerobic. And then yes, of course, the, the, the sweet spot or the threshold stuff, which you just described and tempo. And we're going to talk a fair about a fair bit about tempo today. So really what you're looking for is anything that challenges your hearts, your lungs, and your vascular systems, your blood delivery system. And of course the muscles and, and in doing so you convey a need for greater endurance. So, <clears throat> and, and, uh, kind of a side note, but an important one is that the loads necessary and, and the response that you're going to attain because of those loads are all relative to your current capabilities. So what's a, a walk in the park for one rider is enough to stimulate adaptation in another writer. And what's barely enough for one writer is way too much for another. Chad, the can point- I, can
0: I, can I just make one uh, thing here? And I th- to try to further your point, you're not just talking about power. Like clearly, yes. What I could do would be different than what Keegan could do, right? Keegan could do way more power than I could, but you're, you're not just talking about raw power data. You're talking about the actual duration and everything else as well. Right? Exactly. The stress relative to your capabilities. Yeah, so that's super important to, to keep in mind for people Is it's not just about the raw power data. It's about what you're actually doing, the structure of what mm-hmm. you're doing.
3: And, and maybe really the simplest way to convey this is that you need to understand that your body listens. So if you tell it the right things, then you will get the right answers. It's almost like an endurance question and answer. The question is how do I increase my ability to utilize oxygen, to power my bike? Your body will respond with here's how you increase it by, by rewarding you with the adaptations that you're seeking. Right questions asked. So, when you ask the muscles, so to speak, for greater endurance, they adapt accordingly. Even your fast twitch or your, or your type 2B fibers actually make aerobic adaptations, oxidative adaptations is probably a better way to put it. But especially your type 2A fibers that we've talked about, those intermediate fibers that lie somewhere in between. So, Long, slow distance gets there. Like I said, via duration sprints, get there via exhaustion. They deplete energy resources really quickly. That sends a particular message. That message is replied to with greater oxidative capabilities. VO two max basically lives there just does. So at the upper end sweet spot and threshold lives there as well. They just do so at the lower end and then tempo gets there eventually. It's quicker than long, slow distance, and it's less traumatic than everything else. And while we're on the topic of the, of the so-called gray zone, that seems to describe tempo work, let's really quickly dispel that nonsense for what it is. If all you ever do is ride in the gray zone in tempo, yep. You're probably not going to get faster, but if you ride every day, if your recovery rides are in the gray zone, you're too tired to do hard work. If your hard work suffers as a consequence, you're not really doing hard work. And this is all attributed to that gray zone. The point is it it has its purpose, but you can't just utilize it. Uh, with no real regard to everything else that's going on. It can be a really productive place to train. And Mm -hmm. it's also a place that's really accommodating. We talk about the fact that you can do sweet spot workouts day in, day out and recover from them quite well. Tempo fits that bill just as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So moving on (laughs) second, and maybe this is the most important point is that there's no single way, there's no best way to improve those oxidative capabilities. And on top of it all, it's a moving target. So as your fitness changes, the loads have to change in order to stimulate further change, whether you do that via intensity or duration or frequency or some combination thereof, you have to change those things as well. Put another way.
2: You have to say that again, because (laughs) this is the argument. Everyone who knows everything, everyone wants to know the single way. What's the one interval I do or the one type of intervals I do. There isn't like, uh, can you just say that E section again, on the <laughs> because this is so important and this grinds my gears, especially like uh, it matters where you're at and what you've done in the past. And you can't do, you can't do VO two max for like two years. And like, it's like you're exactly. going to improve as much as if you do a periodized structure. So can you please say it again? Well, see, so rather than say that again, <laughs>
3: let me just put it another way. The, the body adapts to specific stress. So you have to change that stress in order to further adaptation. So you keep doing one thing, body adapts, it gets really good at that one thing. Eventually you plateau. And in some cases you can even go backwards because the body gets so good at it. So you have to vary the stimulus. You gotta, you gotta change it.
0: We've all experienced that. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Chad. I thought you took an intentional pause and I was trying to help you out and I ruined it. I'm sorry.
3: (laughs) I'll step back. (laughs) It's okay. There's no rhythm to this. This this is a conversation. I swear. Okay. So ideally, um, any of these changes that you make state It remain in line with your objectives and your goals, Cody you talk about raising FTP, but you need to look a little bit past that and ask yourself to what end, I mean, maybe you're early in your training and FTP increases are really all you need to target right now, base new rider, et cetera. That's that's okay for now, but eventually you have to, you know, you got to choose a discipline discipline within a discipline. Perhaps you got to look at events. You got to look at the course demands of those events. If you're not competitive, you just have to look at the type of riding you want to be good at the type of riders you want to be as good as or better than et cetera. But you're going to have to get a little more focused. And you also got to recognize that different writers have different proficiencies, and uh, uh, one of those fancy terms, fractional utilization, which basically describes at what percentage of your VO two max does your threshold fall. How how high a percentage of your VO two max can you work for sustained periods of time? And Pete and I are really at opposite ends of that spectrum, and we both perform well. I mean, my, I in my previous days, Pete currently, but Pete is in a situation where he needs to lift his ceiling, his VO two max relative to what he can do is kind of garbage. My (laughs) VO two max relative to what I'm doing is kind of remarkable. So he needs to lift his ceiling. I need to raise my floor, but do we, I mean, maybe Pete is performing as well as he wants to, or needs to perform at the events that he chooses based on what he's already good at me. Maybe I just don't want to work that hard anymore. So I'm not concerned with raising that floor. I just want to be sufficient enough to not hate riding. I want to, I want to love it the whole time. Okay. So to close all this up, the big takeaway for you, Cody, is don't get lost in the weeds. See the broader view. In this case, it's oxidative capabilities go even broader. It's greater performance capabilities, broader. Still it's getting stronger in your words, getting faster In ours. And there are many means to these ends. And because Cody, you're in early days, you need to ask bigger questions for now. You need to consider the end game for you. It's stronger. You need to look at your proficiencies and limitations and then target accordingly based on what you discover over time, because this is a process and you're not going to learn all this right away. Mm. You need to align your time constraints with your objectives. You want to be a sub nine hour Ironman rider, and you've got four hours a week to train and those things don't align. So you're going to have to, to fix that equation somehow. And you have to recognize the benefit of structure. Again, you have to train with purpose and you have to train with consistency. Structure is what helps you do that. And then finally, another part of structure really is you got to track the changes you have to assess and reassess. Look at your best, look at your PRS, look at repeated or similar race event times, do something one year and it's a little faster the next year. That's a win. Do something one year and it's a little easier for the same time next year. That's a win. And then, uh, you're, you're simply you're rating a perceived exertion. How do you feel during performance? Sure. But especially during training, because that's where we spend most of our time. That's where we live. Competition is a, is a very small percentage of
2: that time. Mm. Okay. So Keegan, you are a U.S. national champion. You've won a bunch of big races. You obviously, this is what I've been told. You follow our polarized method where you're either in zone one <laughs> going really easy or doing VO two intervals and you never touch tempo or threshold. Correct.
1: Incorrect. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that's not possible. That's not what pros do. How do you it get Nate passed? read it on the Absolutely. internet. It's not says. possible. Yeah. People argue this all the time. So I mean, this is this is interesting to us as, uh, and I think we we get to see a lot of pros training data. Uh, is I think the two things, and Keegan, we want to hear more about your training. But one, no pro does the same thing year round, right? They they all like all pros do, and then I don't know a single pro that doesn't do lots of threshold and to an extent tempo. And Keegan, I think you have like, you do a lot of tempo, right? Yeah. Um, I guess one thing I do a lot of is my,
1: uh, my coach Jim, he likes to call them like hard endurance and plus rides. So I'll spend a lot of time floating like right on that, like tempo zone two border, like right on that line. So for me, that's like right around, I don't know, 270 to 290 watts. So I'll just do that for like hours on end. Um, I think for me that's definitely helped with my like aerobic efficiency. That's like
3: what is that as a percentage um, of FTP?
1: What would that be? Um, probably about probably seventy. 75-ish. Give me an FTP three around 360. So what is it? About eighty percent. Eighty percent.
2: So yeah, it's about seventy-eight percent. Then um, mm-hmm. I'll
1: spend a lot of time there, and then sometimes he'll, he'll even throw in like we'll do intervals within that. So we'll have so let's like a four-hour ride, and I'll have like a set of 30 thirties or whatever it may be on the top of every hour. <laughs> so uh, I think for me, it just it's helped a lot with basically just building a bigger motor. The um, analogy that I think my coach uses a lot, and it's my favorite one, is he's like, you know, it's you can either like try and modify Honda Civic. <laughs> try and slap on turbos you can do this and you can do that or you can just build a b12 and just be really really fast and really strong at everything um i do a lot of different racing you know i do like marathon racing i do short track uh, xco i do five hour time trials fkts everests (laughs) um i want to be good at all of them you know and in the end i think if you're just a strong rider and you have a good aerobic, like you're just really good at like that, that kind of low tempo zone, you can build off that easier. I think you want to build up your, I guess did you call it your floor or your ceiling and your mm-hmm. floor. So mm-hmm. I think yeah. if you build a bigger tempo Get base, everything in my mind just gets easier off that. Um, Cause if you go look at like a race file from like a gravel race or whatever it may be, that's where you spend the most time. Like you're going to spend the most time in that tempo zone, that high zone too. like you're not always doing threshold. You're not always doing like hit work, like 30 thirties. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, that's made the biggest difference for me and my training the last few years is just like really building that zone and, um, spending hours and hours there. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Keegan, the next question. So there's this idea for polarizes that all the pros do polarize and then us humans like, or regular people don't do it. Your coach, Jim, (laughs) does he coach anybody else that's high level? (laughs) Can you, uh, can you name some because i think people yeah uh, I know, uh,
1: kate courtney and chris blevins yeah i mean she's she okay could, yeah is he? yeah she's okay, she's okay. <laughs> and i think for all of us it was kind of yeah. the same when we started working a few years back like you're like oh this is like this is really hard you do three hours of it and you're like this that kicked my butt like i don't know if i can do this anymore you know and you just get better now i can do it for i can do it all day like i could ride that 270 to 290 zone until like Like, I don't know, probably for 10 hours, you know? So I think you just, your body just adapts. And then he's like, oh, you're getting better at that. Let's, uh, let's start making it harder and put some LT intervals in there. Or we'll do some 30 thirties or like, you're just always adapting it and always changing. Like you guys mentioned, if you do the same thing over and over, you're just not going to get faster. Like you just going to get static and you're going to plateau and eventually you might even go backwards. So he just gets constantly making it harder, whether that's changing the duration, adding more intervals. Um, obviously as your FTP goes up, that zone
2: goes up too. So yeah, that's, mm-hmm. I, I thank you for, uh, getting this insight in your training. And my whole point on this is not that no pros do polarize, but just, I actually, I don't know any that do, but, uh, in cycling, there are other sports for sure. That didn't at first, there's some pros who they found about polarize and they went to it, but I don't know any, do you know any personally who like their whole career they've done polarize and that's how they got to where they're at? Um, i don't know it's hard to say you know a few
1: roadies who just do a lot of like really really easy like zone one rides like they'll go i guess it's kind of like low zone two but they'll go ride like six seven hours of like that super low easy zone and in my mind like you're kind of just wasting your time like you can get the same amount of work done in four hours if you just ride a little harder um so i think like obviously maybe it's a little bit different but i think um yeah. It's like kind of goes back to the whole junk miles thing. If you're just out there, like aimlessly pedaling for six or seven hours, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm.
0: Like You're missing just, out on recovery time at the very least, right? Yeah, like, exactly. And I think three hours extra that yeah. you could have been recovering. And if
1: you're looking at KJs, like, you can go do like, I can go do close to 4,000 KJs in four hours if you're like on the gas the whole time, or you can do 4,000 KJs in seven hours. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's that. And yeah. I think
2: anyways. Uh, but- uh, my, my point is just that, the, uh, cause I, mean, I triggered about probably 300 people who are going to at me now on our forum, <laughs> but it's just not a hundred percent of the pros. That's what I'm, that's all I'm saying no, is it's not a hundred percent of the pros doing polarized. Yeah. They go back to polarized. Our easy rides are really easy. I think a lot of people
1: don't fully understand that. Like I'll go out and ride like mm-hmm. hundred to 120 watts on my recovery rides. I just super easy. It's barely turning the pedal. So like you got to have your easy days and then you have to
2: have your hard days cool. But there's not a whole it, lot of it, like no, sir, middle ground. I, I got <laughs> I got to say this, John, just because you do easy rides does not mean you're doing polarized. Okay. No. Yes.
0: This is, and that's actually what I want to clarify. Tempo
2: sweet spot threshold. <laughs> Correct.
0: Yeah. I yeah. want to clarify that. Cause Keegan, when you say your easy rides, how long is your easy ride?
1: Uh, about hour to hour and a half.
0: Yeah. Right. So that, that right there breaks that association where if you're going to do that low intensity, you have to do hours and hours of it, right? Like your goal that day is to do a very easy day. Yeah. And that's why I don't don't think polarized
3: training was ever was ever meant to be a training model. I mean, even Steven Seiler, he didn't put it out there and say, okay, this is the way you need to train. If you want to be a professional, he observed professionals and noticed that's the way they trained. It wasn't, we we start here and you need to follow this trajectory in order to reach Mm -hmm. these, these high ranks. Rather it was, this is what the fast professional writers do. And it's really a product of they spend so much time training that obviously they're going to have to do most of their training in a really easy territory. If the productive, the other type of productivity is going to come from the really high intensity training. It's, it's something. Again, it was observational. This wasn't. I don't think mm. even Siler meant it to be a model to push out to the masses.
2: That, but uh, that gets confused a lot. I'm sorry, we didn't want to talk. We're the hate mail. Uh, just send
0: it to Jonathan, <laughs> bring, bring it, it. Don't send Cause, it cause to we're it. right. Go to man. the forum of-
2: <laughs> so to Chad's point. It's more of like, uh, if you're getting the 20, 30 hours per week, we talk about this all the time. You can't fill it up with, uh, intensity, right. And, uh, yeah. you have to do some easy work inside of that. So it's kind of but if you do that volume, you do get more of a, you're going to have a lot more easy riding than hard riding, of course, um, and now the question is, well, then if you can only do three hours per week, should you have the same percentage of easy to hard that someone with 30? And we absolutely think no way, hard, uh, no, Hard no. right. Mm-hmm. That's you're not going to get the same gains. And as you increase it, you're going to be doing more and more easy stuff for volume just because you can't recover from those, uh, those high, hard intensity workouts. But we also think that there is benefit to threshold sweet spot. And, and in certain cases, tempo work too. uh, where it's not just all VO two max, like long intervals,
0: a lot mm-hmm. of ways to skin the cat. Oh, geez, Chad. <laughs> there we go. Chad dropped it himself. <laughs> um, it, I, I just want to share this too, because I think it's really important to keep him to go back to what Chad said, actually a couple of times throughout this, which fantastic job, by the way, thanks Chad for organizing all that information sure. to that, but. It should be a specific approach to where your goals, to what your goals are, and then where you're at at the moment. And as a result, that means it needs to change and, and training does change and it should go throughout that, right? You should have periodized training and you shift through that. And I, it's so hard because I see athletes that, you know, only have six hours a week and they're like, oh, well, when I need to change, what I need to do is I need to go 180 degrees and I need to like go and do something that's entirely different from what I'm currently doing and change it up. No, no, it's just. It's, it's measured, it's strategic. It's something that is trending appropriately, training energy systems as they're progressing, uh, as they're progressing and doing that appropriately. Um, it's, it's just, uh, this is going to create a ton of conversation on the forum and I'm super excited actually for that, because hopefully what this has done, if you've listened to what we've said here and what Chad has laid out, um, it's scientific and reasonable. So. Also it's to to hear what Keegan does. Doesn't mean that all of us should go do what Keegan does. We should do what we need to do. That's what Chad said in this, right? So. That's a, it's an important point too. If we, I mean, Ryan Standish train road employee, also a pro racer. He's just tried to do what Keegan does plenty of times because they live together and it's blown Ryan completely out of the water, um, time after time. So it's, you know, we're not just supposed to do what somebody else does. Um, but super interesting conversation on this and Chad, thanks for breaking it down one more plug for this that I want to share is there's a, a blog post that we have that's called what is lactate threshold and how to train it. And Sean, one of our copywriters wrote this one. It's fantastic fantastic, and he has a bunch of references, references in here and breaks this down very clearly. And a lot of it kind of deals with what you're talking about in this case, um, Cody, which is how to train threshold and how to raise it. So, uh, hopefully this is helpful for that one. And hopefully your group ride is long enough so that you can relay exactly what Chad said the whole way through, and then everybody will understand everything. So, uh, let's cover John's question and then we're going to get into rapid fire. Sound good, Chad. Yep. Cool. Okay. Uh, John says I'm a triathlete, mostly, mostly half distance. I have no problems fueling during the cycling leg of a race, but when it comes to the run, I really struggle. Nate, that's actually common, right? For triathletes. Uh, it's a common thing to hear from triathletes.
2: Yeah. It's much harder to digest when you're running. And by the time you get there, you usually have had like, there's so much fatigue on the body. You're maybe overheated. Uh, you're, uh, you've already eaten a whole bunch of food and you're just exhausted.
0: Yeah. So it's like many factors all coming to a head at yeah. the same time. Uh, he says, gels seem to be easier than fluids with the sloshing around in the stomach whilst running, but they only seem to be made of one carbohydrate source. So limited as to how many grams of carbs they can provide on my bike. My drinks are normally a hundred grams of carbs with two to one blend. And I'm sure he's saying two to one blend of glucose to fructose, by the way. So he says, I use the watery SIS gels, okay. So I don't have time to, so I don't have to time nutrition with aid stations, but I need more fuel than the 22 grams of maltodextrin they provide. I'm hoping for some for 60 grams of mixed carb sources. I know Marten gel and that's M a U R T E N, uh, makes a blended gel, but it's only, it's still only 25 grams. And if it's like the drink, you shouldn't consume, or if it's like the drink, you shouldn't consume it with other fuel sources because it messes with absorption. According to them. Uh, not to mention how expensive they are and yeah, they are extremely expensive. So his question, how do I in quotes high octane fuel whilst running? Um, so he says that this is a question for Nate, but also for the rest of us, since we'll be doing triathlon Keegan, you're not included in doing triathlon. I don't think uh, we've challenged you to do a lot of things but we won't include you on the tri challenge. <laughs> so, uh, Ch- yeah. <laughs> Chad, uh, wh- where do you want to start with this one? Okay. Well, first off,
3: you know, Nate's definitely the guy with experience, but I'm the guy with the science. So I'm going to share the science. I can't, (laughs) it's not an insult. I just, I can't relate on the, on the experience side of things. Dual phones were the closest I came. That's not the same thing. Okay. So I'm going to break this down into fueling in general, just to kind of set the stage. And then I want to talk about gut sloshing specifically to you, John, because it's a, it's a common issue. I think a lot of people will benefit from some little bits of insight. And then I want to talk about some potential run fuel solutions. So how to fuel your run without incurring these issues. And then I'm just going to give you a single recommendation to wrap it all up. Okay. So relative to fueling, we got a a couple things, a few objectives all have to align. We, We need to meet caloric demands for the, for the work we're doing. We need to avoid dehydration in the process. And we really want to avoid GI distress because it can hamper performance drastically. The rate of carbohydrate absorption is intensity dependent. So, you know, getting out of the stomach and into the gut or the small intestine specifically and into the bloodstream is, is largely dependent on how hard you're going and the rate slows as intensity increases and the ease of digestion becomes more and more crucial. Harder you work, the more easily digestible your, your, your foods need to be. So, typically we start with simpler foods to begin with, you know, it's going to be largely carbohydrate based, if not entirely. And then as we go up that intensity ladder, simpler forms of carbohydrate in in simpler formats. So with long rides in the ballpark of, you know, roughly two to three hours at lower intensities, what you've described, you know, 60 grams an hour, all the way down to like 30 grams an hour, depending on intensity on intensity seem to suffice. And that's, you know, we're talking, if we put these, all of this in terms of gels, gels, let's just peg them at about 20 grams of carbohydrate per easy math. That's three to, you know, it's two to three gels there Hmm. roughly. When you, we talked about this a lot last week, when you're doing short, really high intensity, roughly an hour or less, you can get away with zero carbohydrate up to a very small amount. So zero in the case of mouth rinse, maybe up to 20 grams per hour. If you're actually sipping that carbohydrate fluid, and it's going to be fluid in that case. And then when we get into the longer, moderate intensity work and we start to push into the ultra endurance realm, really anything over three hours and whether or not that qualifies for ultra endurance in your opinion or your, your definition, it doesn't really matter. Once we push above three hours, the impetus pushes way more in terms of nutrition towards preventing or postponing glycogen depletion. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the end game. That's, that's all we're really worried about at that point.
0: One thing I want to share really quick with this, Chad, I just want to make sure because somebody's going to hear this and say that you told them to do this, um, when Chad says short, about an hour, high intensity, you can get away with a mouth rinse or small sips is what Chad was saying. Just because you can, doesn't mean you should, that's an important detail to keep in mind. So, yeah. So even the lower end of
3: that 20 grams an hour, just a little bit of carbohydrate. That that would be the equivalent of a single gel over the course of that hour effort, Mm -hmm. you don't need much uh, assuming you came into it not depleted, which why would you do that? So <laughs> based on, so this has been demonstrated based on the science. There's a whole lot of research, 60 grams an hour is tolerated by most. And that can be in in, in the form of a single sugar. Now we know that the, those carbohydrate transporters can deal with about a gram a minute, 60 grams. It is. We later learned that, okay, now if we use different transporters, different types of sugar, we can push that up to 90 grams pretty safely for most people and for what it's worth, that seems to be the sweet spot. Most studies right around land right around 90 for efforts pushing above three hours. It doesn't matter if you can tolerate more doesn't matter if you can get away with less. A lot of them reside right around 90 for the best performance. Uh, but way back in 2008 we saw the even higher end of this where Oscar uh, you can drop in or maybe it's Oscar you can drop in and, and colleagues noticed that or noted that they had athletes go all the way up to 144 grams ingested per hour. Now that is ingested. That just means their gut could tolerate it in terms of oxidation. The muscles only utilized about 105 grams of that, but that's not a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily mean it was dwelling on the gut causing GI distress. Rather, it was probably being chained in the liver or in the muscles and, and restocking glycogen stores. Mm-hmm. So this study led them to term, uh, come up with the term oxidation efficiency. And that's the difference between the amount of carbohydrate ingested versus that oxidized. And obviously we want that oxidation efficiency to be higher because the benefit of a higher oxidation deficiency, it, one benefit of it anyway, is that there's less potential for GI distress. Exactly what I just said. It's not sitting in the gut. Mm. So th- this study also pointed out that, you know, for, for, for every bit of greater exogenous carbohydrate intake. So the, the stuff you actually put in your mouth, the greater preservation, assuming it's oxidized, absorbed and oxidized, the greater endogenous or glycogen preservation that takes place. So again, when we're trying to push back that glycogen depletion in taking more carbohydrates on the fly is a large part of what helps us do that. Maybe all of it. Okay. So a couple notes tied to this study and a, a myriad others that I read over the course of the last few days and the last few years, um, is that all signs point to a blend of fructose and glucose, whether or not that glucose is glucose or maltodextrin, which is a really rapidly burning and, uh, flavorless and tolerated by many better than glucose. Either way, we're talking fructose glucose blend, just like Keegan alluded to her mentioned, and it seems to be best in a 0.5 to one to one ratio. So whether you're going, you know, 60 grams of glucose and then another 30 of fructose, there's your 0.5 to one, or you're going 60 and 60 for that big 120. There, there, okay. there's your, there's your one to one ratio. And that's the one for what it's also should be mentioned seems to yield the best performance. First off, there's the fast fastest absorption occurred at this one to one ratio. And that probably had to do with the fast and, and that led to the fact that there was less bloating with this particular combination. So the point being here is that even if you're only looking to take in sixty grams per hour, you might be better suited or might be better rewarded by splitting that thirty grams fructose, thirty grams glucose. And this mm. is so some use
2: Sorry, this is some new science it that it's 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 pretty new because it was the the two to one ratio, and now people and there's some drinks actually coming out with the one to one ratio, which is pretty mm-hmm. interesting.
0: It yeah. just and and if I and that's actually like he mentioned here in the beginning. One of the benefits he was talking about of those Martin gels—they is they have a one to point eight ratio—is um, yeah. is is, th- is theirs. And but the cost that he mentioned is 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 pretty tough. So yeah, has anybody we'll here actually started to, to break this up really quick, Chad? Has anybody here tried a one to one ratio versus a two to one in a back to back scenario and noted any differences? I did this just recently.
2: No, um, but we have we should mix it because I we have bulk fructose and bulk maltodextrin.
0: Yeah, I did this two weeks ago and I tested them and had very similar workouts two days after each other. I kept everything else. I ate the exact same for the day before and through the day uh, of both of them. And I felt like I noticed re- like increased relative ease in terms of like lower RPE when I was riding the workout, when I had the one to point eight. Um, so I just followed that ratio. What's that? How many grams per hour in your case, I was doing 80 <clears throat> grams an hour.
3: Yeah. So see that, that, that kind of drives home the point. I mean, even if you could get away with 60 of glucose and 20, why would you try to nearly overwhelm or saturate those particular protein transporters mm-hmm. and, and put it all on the glucose side when you can kind of make the balance a little more even and split it up? And I think that's, I think that's why, And I mm-hmm. think that's what the, the the research is trying to point us at is that this absorption is improved when we're not pushing one of those, uh, transporters to its limit.
0: Yeah. My concern, uh, the, what I don't know is how that would act if it was a four hour race, right? Like, and if I was continually taking it on, cause I haven't done that yet with the one to 0.8, but I have both of them mixed. So I want to be able to test that out and see how it works.
2: John, I, I suggest because placebo is a real thing. You should mm-hmm. have Sarah mix them for you and just label them and not. So you don't know in your do training. Yes. Yep. And yeah, do it make it a blind. While, <clears throat> Write down your little notes and then figure out what it is.
0: Yeah, I agree. Okay. It, it's also worth it. And, and just to reiterate what I said there, one to two hour workouts versus four and above, like your gut can do some different things with nutrition. kind of that compounding effect effect can add up when you're talking about hours and hours, uh, something long. So
2: we, before we tricky. get to the end, we have to hear what Keegan eats on these huge long rides. Cause he, eats a variety of <laughs> foods I've never seen anybody eat. And it's very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Yes,
0: we will cover that.
3: Okay. So to get, do you get back on track here? Another note that needs to be accounted for is intensity. When you're, you're sitting back and you're determining these intended carbohydrate intakes, you have to consider how hard you're going to be working. For instance, you know, if you're, if you know, you're going to be out there for a 12 hour Ironman, then 120 grams per hour, probably not a great idea. It's probably not necessary. It probably is going to put you in a bad way. You might not even need 90 grams per hour. I mean, that the, the work rate here becomes the driving factor. And that's something that we can measure on the bike. And frankly, that's where the bulk of your calories are going to come. So the difference between working at 150 Watts for six hours on the bike versus 300 Watts for four and a half hours on the bike, very different energy demands, very different amounts of carbohydrate necessary. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, we're talking to, we're talking to John, right? I probably, I should have that yes. down. Okay. John, <laughs> in terms of high carbohydrate intake solely via fluids, that's Pretty challenging business. Uh, the, the volume necessary is, is probably the biggest uh, rate limiting factor, if you will. Uh, the th- study roughly 10 years ago compared gel versus drink. And again, you can is in the mix, along with Trent Stellingworth, a lot of really reputable names. And they used well trained cyclists. And they noted that tr- drinking challenges at 1.5 grams per minute. So if you're chasing that 90 grams per hour intake, even if you're going with a solution, or if you are going with a solution that's pretty typical, pretty standard of most energy drinks, four to eight percent solution, you're going to have to drink anywhere from a liter to two and a half liters per hour. Per hour. So you know, magn- you know, multiply that times however many hours you're going to be on the bike. That's a heck of a lot of fluid to cart around. And to put it in perspective, those regular sized water bottles are about 500 milliliters. The tall ones are about 750. You know, give or take 50 mils. So that's that's quite a lot of fluid.
0: Nate's okay. Nate's nodding his head over here. Cause I think Nate, you're, you're thinking about the fluid loss that you have. You lose a lot of fluid. So you have to replace a lot. No, you I drink do. at
2: least a liter per hour when I train and I, yeah, and Nate is liter bottle. He's an exception nice. though.
3: He he's someone who can put away a lot of, a lot of everything really. He can deal with everything. a lot of carbohydrate. He can deal with a lot of fluid. <laughs> he's Popeyes, he, I, like, I don't know if you're an outlier <laughs> exactly, but you are definitely way far that way. Okay. So now you take that same solution and you bump it up to 10% and now we're you know, kind of introducing hydration issues into it and it's more carbohydrate on the gut. So in order to get that same 90 grams, <laughs> 90 grams per hour, we're talking about 900 milliliters of fluid ingested. So again, we're pushing up towards two full bottles per hour. Hmm. So th- this same study showed that you had, they had these athletes experienced roughly the same oxidation rates, whether it was gel or drink on the bike. So it was still getting into the muscles. It was still getting utilized. It wasn't sitting on the gut. Didn't matter whether it was in the form of fluid or in the form of gels. And obviously the gels are gonna be chased with some liquid. So the one takeaway here is that this presents a strong case for for, uh, cutting carbohydrate drinks with carbohydrate gels, and maybe even some solids. And again, intensity has to be considered. You can't dump a bunch of solids into the system if you're going all out. Uh, Another takeaway is that 100% liquids can be done but there are a couple, there are probably several caveats, but the two I'm going to present is one that carbohydrate gut tolerance is highly subjective. What one person can tolerate Nate is very different from what another Chad can, can handle. And two hydration is probably going to have to be supplemented. You can't put that much carbohydrate into the system. If you're not you know chasing it with enough adequate hydration. Mm. Okay. Now, John, let's move on to gut sloshing something specific to your question, but general to, I'm sure a lot of athletes, as I understand it, this is basically, liquid in the stomach. So it hasn't made it into the small intestine. It hasn't hasn't put hasn't pushed through, and therefore it's not getting into the bloodstream, it's not getting into the cells. So effectively you have outpaced absorption. And this could be due to a number of factors. And I'm going to throw five of them at you. So first off, perhaps too much water. Because remember, plain water doesn't hydrate. It needs co-transporters. It needs a little bit of glucose. It needs a little bit of electrolytes, specifically sodium, but also those others are, are beneficial. This is especially true at high sweat rates and it's especially true at high sweat sodium loss rates. Okay. Secondly, the concentration or the osmolality, there's a mismatch there. There's simply too many solutes in this case, carbohydrate for, for rapid emptying. So the takeaway or or my recommendation would be just reduce your carbohydrate percentage, increase your water intake. If you think this might Mm -hmm. be the issue, um, thirdly. Stacey Sims pointed out that you can actually overdo your sodium intake. And in this day and age of really pushing sodium with your water and these big hyperhydration packets and whatnot, for some people, they work for some people. It's too much sodium. And what happens is with that huge introduction of sodium into the system, you can actually pull water into the GI tract. Not only is that a potential cause of sloshing and discomfort, but it can also lead to dehydration. So recommendation there is simply just do a sweat sodium test. Might be a good idea. Uh, fourthly. The boluses of nutrition or hydration are simply too big. You're taking in too much at once. And when they did Nike's breaking two, the the research team there actually had Kipchoge and his, uh, I guess, teammates, do more frequent drinks. So rather than every five k, they were drinking every three k, so that they could take smaller drinks and they experienced less slouching and 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 better mm-hmm. fueling, uh, ostensibly, or it, it probably happened. not And then finally, there's an intensity effect. I've already touched on this, but Steven Mears, who's a a noted exercise physiologist notes that, uh, the, the rate of gastric emptying. So out of the stomach slows as you push toward roughly 75% of VO two max. So to put that in FTP terms, it's going to be somewhere in the ballpark of 90% of your FTP. So the, the, the point is that intensity eventually limits the blood flow and therefore it's going to limit the rate of digestion. So. Here, my advice would simply be just to remind you that this is another situation where slowing your intake might be the difference between sloshing and not sloshing. Hmm. Okay. So now let's, let's talk some potential solutions for, for fueling your run. Uh, first and foremost, do most of your eating on the bike, running recruits more muscle mass than cycling. And in turn there's, that just means there's less available blood flow for your GI tract. And this means that your, your digestive capabilities might be greater on the bike, the, uh, absorption capabilities of your small intestine might be better, more rapid on the bike, simply because there's more blood available to your GI tract. Um, and then also more exogenous carbohydrate used on the bike means that you've preserved more endogenous or glycogen stores for the run. So even if you don't fuel at all on the run, if you did a really good job on the bike, maybe it won't be an issue. Hmm. Um, second recommendation, uh, well, actually this kind of dovetails off of that other one is that bigger intake on the bike could very well entail some gut conditioning. And as uh, a, a study puts it, all we're looking for, the the main goal of gut conditioning is to prevent the accumulation of carbohydrate in the intestine. You don't want it out of the stomach and sitting in the gut. It's a, it's going to lead to issues. Mm -hmm. Put another way you want, we want to increase the absorptive capacity (coughs) of the gut. And then again, leaning on Oscar, you can drop really heavy here, but back in 2014, he talked about, you can include solid, semi-solid liquid. They all have a place. And interestingly, it's independent of weight. The, the mm-hmm. GI tract capabilities is pretty similar across athletes, regardless of their size. So it's always baffled me why they don't put these recommendations in, in, you know, per kilogram recommendations. Rather, it's just 90 grams per hour, 60 grams per hour, 144, because, because of that. Um, and then on top of it, training status, you know, whether you're recreational or elite, it doesn't really matter either. I mean, you're burning this, you're, you're putting out this many Watts. You need this much carbohydrate to fuel it. So, uh, takeaway here is that more daily carbohydrate intake can increase your gut carbohydrate transporters. So if you're going to condition the gut, you simply have to start eating more carbohydrate, you have mm-hmm. to make it clear again, sending the body a message that you need to utilize more carbohydrate. We mean we need more transporters than this typical 60 grams per hour. Nonsense. We need to push more into the bloodstream. Help me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, another recommendation is experiment with your carbohydrate or carbohydrate combination. I mean, even at the low end of things at 60, you could just stick with a single sugar, but maybe that's not optimal. I mean, we're already leaning towards a, a one-to-one mix regardless of, uh, grams per hour. The, the, the go-to, is glucose and maltodextrin, and combine that with fructose, and that's that seems to be the combination. But sucrose is also in there, and that's simply a combination of glucose and fructose, so it makes sense. But guess what? New player on the scene: lactose. So o- Odell and our, our very own, you know, <laughs> friend of the podcast, Tim Podligar, study that just came out last year compared lactose versus sucrose, and they had athletes ingest forty-eight grams per hour over the course of a two and a half hour ride. And they found comparable carbohydrate oxidation rates regardless between lactose of all things and sucrose. They also found that lactate lactate lactose utilized significantly less endogenous carbohydrate. So it had a better glycogen sparing effect and that there were significantly higher fat oxidation rates when they used lactose, which kind of, kind of, kind of works out, right? If they're sparing glycogen, where's that energy come from? Well, it looks like some of it at least is coming from fat. To be clear, I'm not suggesting that you gulp down a pint of milk on a hot day's ride, (laughs) but I've I've done this in a gas station where we stopped for long enough to, to grab some chocolate milk or something. And I had a good ride. It actually saved me on the, the wrong side of Mount Rose one time. So give it a shot. If you think that changing your sugar might be the way to go. I do recognize some people are lactose intolerant. Clearly this is not going to work for you, but I also recognize that some people are fructose intolerant. So do the math. Mm -hmm. You know what you can, cannot have. Some people have a corn allergy. Mouth is probably not your fuel. Mm -hmm. So my advice here is that the experimentation could yield a better carbohydrate or carbohydrate mix or carbohydrate format. Okay. going to wrap this up pretty quickly here. Let's talk quickly about isotonic gels because you did mention it. I, I feel like the limitation there is clearly the amount of fluid to carbohydrate ratio. It's not that much of a limitation. If hydration is if these gels are your primary resource for hydration, say for instance, in, in the run and on a not particularly hot day. Um, but the takeaway is that either use these when the carbohydrate demand is low and perhaps the hydration end of things is a concern. Or you got to bring a lot of them, or you got to mix them with solids, or you get lucky and the event is a science and sport sponsored event, and they're at every aid station, mile on the mile. Okay, now hydrogels. I don't, I don't I actually do want to go down this road because uh, there's a lot of criticism levied against them, and I do, uh, admittedly, the, the the four most recent studies and perhaps the four only studies did have basically a consensus in that there's no difference in GI discomfort, no difference in performance. No difference in that exogenous carbohydrate oxidation rate, you know, what's coming into the body, what you're eating. No difference in blood glucose or free fatty acids compared to the non-alginated or the non-pectinated, whatever it is, carbohydrates. One study did say that the rate of, or did, did indicate that the rate of gastric emptying increased, but measuring gastric emptying is a bit challenging. And they pointed out how it could be potentially flawed. And they also noted that once it pushes into the small intestine absorption appears to be delayed due to the encapsulation. So this, this, you know, kind of negates that metabolic benefit of rapid emptying. However, I see that as a potentially good thing in the case of low and slow events, it absorbs Mm -hmm. more slowly. Why, why would that be a bad thing in further defense of these hydrogels? Anyone with, with a sensitive stomach who needs it out of the gut quickly could definitely benefit. Also, they haven't done any higher intensity experiments with it so far doesn't really make sense to me that it would pan out, but we don't know.
0: Mm.
3: And then like Nate said, the placebo effect is real. There's a preference issue. What if you just like it? What if you like the mouthfeel? What if you like the the low flavor for whatever reason it works for you, go for it. And there are no downsides on record. No research has shown any reason not to use these over regular gels aside Mm. from perhaps the cost and, you know, wake up call. I'm super partial to maple syrup packets these days. Those things are like three bucks a pop. So they're not a heck of a lot cheaper. And relative to Martin's, they probably don't convey as much carbohydrate.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, one last thing, it just an honorable mention because I've talked about it before and I know we're going to get the question. UCAN has, uh, I think it's trademarked, I think it's theirs entirely, super starch. And what that is, is a high molecular weight, hydrothermally modified, waxy maize starch. So basically, it's corn starch but it's not just cornstarch has been modified such that these are really big molecules of cornstarch. So when it's in the gut, it simply breaks down slowly. It's just like glycogen breaks down slower than glucose. It has to be unchained, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So for something low and slow, like ultra endurance events, this could very well be a proper fit. I do think it's at least worth experimentation for people who are having issues. So John, Mm -hmm. my, my final single recommendation is that you have to experiment with your fueling And you got to do this during workouts, during simulations, triathlon simulations, uh, lower priority events, even bricks you as a triathlete. You can, you can do this coming off the bike and see how things work. And then to further that, you got to do this until you get it right. You got to keep experimenting because this is a process like anything else. So if you haven't figured it out, keep trying.
2: Hmm. Okay, John. Uh, ooh, I'm muted. Nate, you're oh, you're on I'm mute muted. still. I'm sorry. <laughs> ooh, I was sneezing a bunch. Okay. John, you say something that on the run, a lot of those carbohydrate sources seem to be limited by only one carb source, like a uh, glucose, but there is something that is in, I love when triathlons do this, but this is my go-to drink, or at least it was when I was running is flat Coke. Flat Coke has high fructose corn syrup. And that is 55% fructose, 45% glucose. And uh it's easy to digest, it's pretty good, and then it has caffeine in it. So that yeah. all, also is going to help you on the run at the end of that race. You could take in that some checks all the boxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh the well, the two things, it has some sodium in it too, but the things you could do, and what people do, what I've done too, you could do a little bit of like sometimes I'll have like Gatorade Endurance or something, a higher salt uh uh carbohydrate drink to get a little more glucose. And then it's, there's not so much palate fatigue too, especially in an Ironman. And then also, uh, you can carry your, um, so salt pills. If you know, there's a specific amount of sodium that you need to be able to last through a very long race, like an Ironman and most Ironman athletes do that. I would say, especially in hot conditions, like Kona. uh, that can be super awesome. The hard part is when you're running that extra weight is hard and you know, there's might be uh, special needs somewhere through, but if you have to carry like 10 gels on you, it's significant weight, especially then if they're like SIS gels. So being able on the run to leverage aid stations, I think is totally a, uh, is an advantage. It's a marginal gain for sure, but it's, a, it's definitely an advantage. It's just like in cycling too. If you are able to use the aid stations rather than carry, like I need my specific nutrition and you have to carry like four liters of water on your body. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's no good.
0: Yeah, it's going to make you slow weight matters. Uh, when you're talking about liters of water, right? Um, yeah. Keegan, how about you? What do you prefer to fuel with? Um, Keegan's going to yeah, blow us just, out of water. He's yeah, just like, <laughs> yeah, there's prefer. And then what can you feel with? Because there's also, <laughs> you, you have a range. Yeah.
1: Um, well, I guess we can start with like, we'll start with XCO racing and then we can kind of transition from there. Um, sort of mm-hmm. like an hour and a half to two hour race. Um, I'll only use like goo gels and like water or like the last few laps, I'll throw like a monster hydro in there. Just like pretty much lean mix though. Like not very many calories, uh, really easy on the stomach. Basically just to wash down the gels. Um, kind of like Chad mentioned for like an events, like events that are like shorter. You just don't need quite as much carbs because you have so much on board. And um, you basically just kind of like, just to get something in your mouth to tell your body, like, hey, there's carbs coming in. You can keep going fast. You can keep going hard. Um, so I'll basically I'll tape the goos to my bottles um, onto the lids, grab one of the feed zone, grab a gel, smash it. You maybe only get half the gel down. You can do that, but it doesn't really matter. You're just getting some in. Um, so I think over a 90 minute race, I'll have, I don't know, probably four or five gels, which is, I mean, a fair bit of carbs. I mean, that's, I mean, 20 grams gels. So that's about, I don't know, hundred ish. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of chase it with water and it's pretty simple, straightforward. Um, I think the key for me, like having them taped to the bottle, just because then you get that bottle, that gel is slapping around, being obnoxious, a little bugger. and You just want to rip it off there and eat it to get rid of it. You don't want that thing <laughs> sitting down there. Um, so that's kind of like my tip. Also, <laughs> it, you don't have to carry as much weight. Carrying five gels in your pocket is about hundred grams worth of weight. So people are like, oh, you're fighting over hundred grams in your bike with titanium bolts and this and that. So why bother carrying food if you don't have to, if you can get it in the feed zone. Um, so that's kind of my thought I do the same thing for marathon racing. Like if it's like a three hour epic ride event, I'll have like, I'll just double tape gels to the bottle. So I'll tape two on there. Um, and I'll just try and smash them both at once. It's not probably not optimal as far as like spacing and timing is concerned, but like on a mountain, in a mountain bike race, you're trying to like deal with single track and different things. Um, so you can kind of just take it when you can get it and your body's, I don't think it cares too much as long as it gets it within that hour. Um, so I just try and either preload it or maybe have it a little bit late. It doesn't really matter. Um, that's kind of my my thought. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets over that like three to four hour range, like for telly Ride One Hundred last year or uh, like the Belgian Waffle Ride, the gravel race I did, um, I'll have a little bit of solid food early on.
0: The gravel race you won, by the yeah. way. We should we should I clarify. Guess, yeah, you didn't just those. do the race, yeah. you won it. Yeah. And, and yeah. you won tell your right too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's another
1: Yeah. So that's uh for those, I like to start off with a bit of solid food. Um kind of mainly for me it's like a palate fatigue thing and the beginning of those races are not very hard. So like intensity wise, it's just like a hard zone two pace or even less sometimes. So like the first couple hours, I'll eat like bring Oreos. I'll bring hostess donuts, which is Nate's over here. Like there's too much fat in those. Um, (laughs) but I think (laughs) any food is better than no food. And I think when it's a race that long, sometimes you genuinely get hungry. Like if it's like a six plus hour race, I think having a little bit of solid food early on is like kind of adding to like that pre-race meal in a way for me, like you'll have that solid food in there, just digest and you don't get that empty hunger feeling in your stomach that you get. if You just run off gels for like Uh six to seven hours. Um, or like, you know, Mm -hmm. fig Newton's like anything that's like fairly simple, um, that you can break down, um, pop tarts are good, but they fall apart pretty easy. So I'm not a huge fan of racing with them. I do train with them though. (laughs) Um, do you do I feel like if pop tarts
0: weren't as, if pop tarts weren't as crumbly, somebody needs to make this product. Like we yeah. got like the Stroop waffles, we got maple syrup productized for cyclists, all this, somebody needs to make a pop tart so that actually isn't crumbly. And then if that's the case, pro tip, check if you get the stuff. salted
1: pretzel pop tarts, they're actually softer and they don't crumble as easy in your pocket. So I've transitioned to training with those. They're also kind of a savory <laughs> flavor and they're also pretty good. Like it's like 70 grams of carbs in a packet of pop tarts and they're actually pretty low fat relative to other junk food, I think. So
0: these are the pro tips yeah, that those are, need you train a lot, it right here. you got you just get sick <laughs> of eating
1: the same stuff. So you really have to mix it up. Like they mentioned rice, crispy treats. Those are great. But the problem is they're pretty low density on carbs. Like you get the small little like squares you can pre buy, mm-hmm. like there's only like, I think there's 15 grams of carbs in one of those. So you, they take a lot of volume in your pocket. Sometimes if I, you open them, you can smash them nice and flat jam in your pocket. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of like. My tips for the longer races and, and, and training too. Like if you get like even let's say like gels are more optimal or for liquid, but like if you don't like eating it, you're not going going to eat it. And if you look forward to eating it, like I know for sure I pull out a roll of Hostess donuts, everyone in the pack is gonna be like, Oh man, I'm jealous. He's got donuts. Like that is I'm like, so I'll just be whipping down <laughs> these little crumb donuts. Um so yeah, that's kinda like and then as the race gets more intense, I transition to like just Straight liquid and gels or chews. Um, I think like as a race mm-hmm. goes on, you have to like focus more on just like straight carbs, and you also like there's more. There might be attacks going, or maybe like there's more trail. You're losing focus, so you just need to stay on top of that stuff more. Um, and yeah, I did. I, mean, I did the same program for Everest as well. Started off a little more solid food, and slowly transition to goose and chews. Um, and even early on, like I'll still alternate. It's not like I'm just eating solid food. I think you have to like kind of factor, like add in a few gels and whatever else to keep that carbohydrate intake pretty high. Cause if you just go off solid food, you're not going to digest it fast enough. and you're going to start getting behind on your carb intake and then you're going to end up blowing out the back. So, <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> you do another one. Uh, you make sandwiches. Yes. Yeah, I've you do this with so tell tell us about that. What kind um, of sandwiches what do you put so in? So yeah, you get the widest
1: bread you can find generally. <laughs> um just as simple like <laughs> the stuff that melts in the toaster, you know, that kind of stuff. So you get that and then you just use like I just we'll do like strawberry jam or whatever, maybe just like a teeny teeny bit of peanut butter mainly for flavor more than anything. Sometimes just jam. And those are nice. cause you can smash them really thin. Um you can smash get them in slam a few of them in your pocket. Uh, so it's really like kind of preference, like whether you sit well on and then you have to train with it too. Like I got trained with all this stuff all the time. So I kind of know what works for me and just do the same thing in racing. And like for those hard endurance rides, you can't eat super solid, complex food, otherwise your stomach just is like, nah, get out of here, man. So you gotta like find the really simple, simple things and, um, still kind of roll in gels and, and if it's a, the more intense the training ride is like for. A ride where it's like a hard endurance ride with like a bunch of LT intervals or whatever, I'll like pretty much just eat liquid and gels uh, or chews. Um, like John mentioned on a previous episode, like for mountain bike racing, I like to use the chews sometimes because you can just like pop a few and slam in your cheek, and then you can like slowly work on those on the descent on the single track, and that we have to worry about um, taking your hands off the bars. And times are kind of hard to eat, like when you're trying to squeeze them out of the packet or whatever. Don't ever stick them to your top tube, or your stem. I think that's disgusting. Yeah. Um, that's not a good tip. <laughs> I see people do it. It makes me sick. <laughs> so just, it's not that hard to reach back in your pocket and you grab them. Um, and my dentist probably hates me for it, but it works really well. Cause you can just like slide one over the other <laughs> side of the mouth, chew it, or they
2: just slowly dissolve and they're gone. So. Teeth. I bet your pockets are just full of crumbs and stuff for multiple food at the end. Do you like ever get hungry and just reach in and pull out like, it's like pop tart donut and sandwich? No, I've got my pockets oh. organized. So I've got like,
1: I'll know the donuts are in on one side and I pack the goose like horizontal underneath. So I'll kind of have them ordered of what I want to eat mm-hmm. things. And then I normally stash trash like in the middle pocket or just like shove the trash like in my leg. Um, up in the leg band, of my pan, of my bibs, because mm-hmm. if you litter, you're a horrible person. So don't ever throw trash off the bike. I'll yell at you for <laughs> it. Um, it's
2: not that hard. If you can get it out of your pocket. You can get it back into your pocket. That's, that's the truth. That's the truth. Uh, so this, what, what Keegan is saying, uh, he eats a lot on the bike, <laughs> like a ton. I would say, do you, mm-hmm. do you think you eat more relative to your competitors? I when you're so. racing?
1: Yeah. It's hard to say because I'm not always looking at what they're uh, doing. All sometimes if I see someone eat, then I'm like, oh, I should eat. So, um, but I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: It's definitely in your mind though, to eat a lot, right? When you're racing. I went through a
1: phase where I set a
2: timer on my,
1: uh, my computer. And it would just like beep at me every 20 minutes or whatever, just so I'd remember to eat. And now it's just habit.
2: So, Mm -hmm. uh, the other part is, uh, have you talked about this before, but the carb loading who Keegan uh, I don't, besides you and Ryan are the only people I've seen that can match me eating before a race, uh, which is also, it gets a little competitive. We're in the same room, but it is insane, but I am like 50 pounds heavier than you. And the, that is, it's, it's, it's just crazy, uh, to think. And that's too, it's, it's more mm-hmm. simple carbs and stuff. I think normal day to day, you said you eat a lot more of a well-balanced yeah. salad, like, you know, wholesome, nutritious food, rather than like rice crispy treats and, uh, I don't know what else we had some mm-hmm. lots of cereal, although you eat a lot of cereal too. Don't you even yeah. cereal every night? <laughs> so yeah. Tell us about this. <laughs> Do we have time to talk about cereal, John or not?
0: No, we don't. We should move forward. <laughs> oh, um, man. cause Nate, we, <laughs> sorry, Nate,
2: <laughs> next, time, next time. Uh,
0: we have a bunch of rapid fire questions that we're going to get to, and that's probably going to be it for the, for this episode, but there are some great ones in here. So, um, let's get into Michael's question. <clears throat> he says rapid fire question and six stars for the product. By the way, if you're wondering, I don't know if six stars is now possible, but you can leave five star reviews on iTunes and it would be super helpful for us. Or if you use the trainer road app, rate it five stars as well. And if you feel like us or the app or the podcast don't deserve five stars, send it to us. Let us know at support at trainerroad.com, And then we will improve. So then six, we can
2: earn that five star six stars is five stars with a comment saying how much you like us. That's I
0: like that. <clears throat> there we go. Good job, Nate. Um, so he says, uh, and, and that's for the podcast, all the new ones included. I think he's talking about the successful athletes podcast and your general customer service and thanks customer service. Uh, we have a bunch of customer uh, service employees that are just awesome and we appreciate them. Uh, he says. Uh, say you were loaned a private jet with a pilot and all you need where you would fly t- or where would you fly to if you had to pick one Strava segment each boom. And then he always also says PS more beers with Chad. So we had a private jet. In other words, we could just go wherever we wanted. Which Strava segment would we actually target? I know my answer, but I shouldn't say it first. So. so. H- who already typed theirs in, I already typed mine in. Oh yeah. That well, that's, that's mine too. So you may that's yours speeding. too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then I'll lead. Um, if all you need is like, uh, means, and then he says all you need, if that means you have the fitness to get the KOM, cause that's a very important stipulation, <laughs> otherwise I'm just gonna like, post like a <laughs> 300 or like, you know, 4,000 time out of how many riders. but assuming that it means you have all the fitness to be able to get the KOM, it would be the Stelvio. It's like the coolest climb in the world to me. It just looks mm-hmm. so cool. It's aesthetic. It's <clears throat> awesome. Storied fame, the whole thing. Yeah. Even before you typed that I had already reasoned that because
3: when I rode several of those Italian climbs, including the Mortarolo, that was the climb. It it was so fun. It wasn't terribly steep and I I still don't have a crack at it. I mean, low power and high body weight, it's it's pretty much out of the question, but if I could just ride that over and over again every day and even the backside of it, I'd, I'd be happy for the rest of my life.
0: Now, if fitness, if it just having all the fitness in the world, isn't the case, like I have to go there with my current fitness, but I can get there. It's whatever segment Nate cares about most. That's what I would go for. So check <laughs> you're muted, Nate, <laughs> and then he's uh, not that's, coming I hate this.
2: Um, I, uh, don't care about segments. So, I mean, I care a little <laughs> bit, but not that. like a ton. <laughs> he cared an- yeah, he no got KOMs. To- <laughs> I don't think. Keegan, he got pretty
0: upset when, when we took his yeah. KOM, didn't he?
2: I did not you, get you pretty upset. Him. I was. No. <laughs> I'd said this before. I've got, like, wow, Keegan took my KOM. Oh, like, I'm so bad. Uh, Keegan and John working as a team. So I've got the U S <laughs> national champion and John a national level writer. And they took it by like two minutes. Ooh, I feel so bad about myself. Like,
0: I mean, you seem pretty fired up right now. So, you know, <laughs> it's a <lot> of words. <laughs> <laughs> for not caring. That's for sure. Uh, Keegan, how about you? What? I, you, this is weird because you can actually get whichever one, the fitness part doesn't kind of matter, but what, what, what segment would be most Ooh, sought after a for you?
1: Pretty tough question. Honestly, I'd probably just have to say like the, is it Mauna Kea, the one in Hawaii? Just cause then I gotta, get to get to hang out in Hawaii. Ooh. That's a nice place to be and a nice place to train <laughs> and it's filled it So <laughs> I guess that's
0: <laughs> it. It's <laughs> oh, awesome. Nate, do you have one picked out in your mind?
2: I don't think so. Well, I don't think I can get any of them. Assuming that you could just have the fitness to get
0: one, which one would you really want of, above all?
2: Uh, <sighs> I would say probably Mauna Kea too. Cause it's the world's longest cr- climb, right? Probably, I like, think so. Yeah. yeah. So that, that would so just be somebody's cool. Somebody's going to gonna let
0: us know. It isn't, but I, th- I, I know, it is.
2: uh, it's <laughs> yeah, wonderful. So the, yeah. the elevations, crazy. how many feet John? 14,000, something like that.
0: Yeah. It's uh 13,000 is 13,620 is the actual, like, I think elevation of the climb, but you climb a bit more than that. Cause there's a short period where you descend. So it, you climb 14,000 feet, I think yeah. overall.
2: That'll be uh, Keegan and I's next challenge. Who can uh, have a lower time up Mauna Kea? <laughs> but I
0: get an e-bike. Wonder how that'll turn out. Ooh, there we go. Okay, now hmm. that's now that's close The e-bike would run now-
2: out of batteries, so it'd they- be as <laughs> wide eco mode the whole way. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's it. Okay, uh, next one. Maybe worth a rapid fire. Do you think the road feel in quotes stuff on smart trainers is even or is is ever even worth it? Is there any real advantage to riding on simulated ice or whatever or anything else? So I think. Back in the day, we used to talk like kind of quantify trainers or or qualify them as like, this one has really good road feel. So it's good. Do you think that still applies Nate? How do you feel about it?
2: Um, absolutely. It's, I think it's huge and you only, though have bad road, road feel in the very lower end trainers. Now, all the, the top Mm -hmm. ones, they are all excellent. Uh, so Uh if you're spending, I don't know, three or $400 on a trainer on a smart trainer, there's this. In that area, I'd almost rather have a mechanical trainer with a big flywheel. Mm-hmm. And then if you get to the like the the thousand eight hundred kind of area, then they all have a really good road feel.
0: Yeah. A a smart trainer that feels like really bad is a bad experience. Like even though it has the erg mode, it's a bad experience. So yeah, definitely worth changing. Okay. Could you guys please talk about how to be patient when actually this one's not gonna be a deep dive one? I'm gonna push this one to next week. We we need that one for another time. Oh, yeah. Josh's question, rapid fire. Hypothetically, you live amidst a pandemic where every grocery checkout line is an exp- is an express line. So you can only buy 10 food items. What would you buy and why? And 10 types of cereal is okay. Keegan, You can say that too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I already have mine picked out. Chad has his, uh, I don't, and Chad, do you want to start off with yours? And then we'll go into mine. Okay. Give Nate yep. some time to think about it.
3: Initially I was just going to do. One, then three, then five, and then actually came up with ten. But recognize these are in order. So if I could only have one, it would be the first one. So in order of importance, mm-hmm. peanut butter, then milk, mm-hmm. eggs, sweet potatoes, veggies. It doesn't matter what. Just just any veggies. Uh bourbon or rye. Doesn't matter. I'm not picky. <laughs> That's not uh, 70- seventy <laughs> I was gonna say, um, is this inverse um, order? What are you getting at <laughs> <out> here? <laughs> how honest I'm being. No, I do want to stay alive, so peanut butter. <laughs> Uh, 70% or higher cacao content, chocolate, um, preferably ritual sourdough. Although I'd rather just have a starter and get to pick something else, rice, and then I'll close it out with an IPA.
0: So IPA. Ooh, good, good technicality with the starter there, Chad. I like that. Um, Okay. At mine would actually, I have the exact store picked out too. It would be the whole foods in park city. Cause I think they sell ritual chocolate there. So that way I could shop there and check off one of the things on my list. Um, but at mine would be brown rice, sweet peppers, like some sort of medley of, of mix of them, eggs, jalapenos, spinach, sweet potatoes, mushrooms, some sort of mix of cherry tomatoes, green chalula. The best hot sauce and only hot sauce in the world. That stuff is amazing. And then a Madagascar ritual chocolate. It's the best, um, rituals, Madagascar stuff is incredible, but all of that actually minus the chocolate goes together to make basically anything. I can have that for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It has a ton of different variety and it's really delicious. So that's like my go-to thing, uh, that I would have, um, Nate's listing his out.
2: I got it. Okay. Uh, this is hard. (laughs) Potatoes, rice chicken breast, mixed veggies, eggs, oatmeal. No one said coffee. John, I understand for you, but coffee, I would die. Um, (laughs) good catch (laughs) almond milk, bagels, salt. I would die without salt. And then you need some olive oil, uh, to cook all those things and do all that stuff. And (laughs) that's 11 by the way, (laughs) Is that 11, (laughs) (laughs) which one are you getting rid of? Nate? This is crucial. Ooh, I'd probably get rid of the, uh, either the rice or the bagels. One of those Mm. two, but it would be hard to go. Mm-hmm. It'd be hard.
0: Yeah. These are, these, this is a good mix. Uh, and m- mine's just centered around a, a specific meal, but you guys had a good idea on variety, uh, Keegan. How about you? Ooh, um,
1: so we're going to have to do peanut butter, um, cereal,
3: mm. which I mean,
1: I don't know. I couldn't really pick one. I'm just going to have to like blindly pick one off the aisle. Cause that's just too hard. <laughs> um, that's what I, do with that's best what I have with to, to do that do granola, which is a cereal, but it's also kind of not, you know, it's kind of its own thing. I do bananas, not, not green bananas. Let's just make that very clear. Um, oh, come on, get
0: out of (laughs) here. Uh,
1: eggs, coffee, almond milk, yogurt, and avocado. I think that's 10.
0: So you're the pancake Lord on Instagram. You're known as this, like people send their pancakes to you to, for you to rate them and qualify them. If you had to pick between pancakes and cereal, which one would you pick? I don't even
1: know if I can make that decision. I'd probably <laughs> like
0: which child.
1: I know, I'd so probably have sure to is. pick. i have to pick pancakes. Honestly, if I had to pick,
2: because they're more versatile. You can yeah, make them hey, savory, sweet. And your, you can do more with it, you know. Mm-hmm. In your mm-hmm. mix of this, maybe just answered it, but what are you going to put the avocado with? You're just going to eat it straight? Just
1: eat it. Or put it on pancakes with eggs. I mean, pancakes are kind of like bread if you Change a little. <laughs> I've actually, I do, I do do that sometimes. So that that's probably what I would do. I just figured like mm-hmm. avocado is kind of a good, like, I don't know, healthy thing to put on my list. So you gotta have something <laughs> on there that That's good for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's your health checkbox. Uh, yeah. Timmy's question. He says, rapid fire. What are your go-to cycling glasses? And do any of you wear contacts and Keegan, you don't have to answer this one if contractual obligations. Cause I know that you're kind of year is still your, your program is still sorting out. So you don't have to answer this one if you don't want, but, um, go to cycling glasses, Chad, do you want to start? Cause I think that you also need, I don't know if you wear contacts in your ride or what do you do? I
3: that? do. Yeah. So I like Oakley, I think best optics and they have a ton of styles to choose from. Plus they're just really solid glasses. And yes, I do wear contacts. I've gone the prescription route, but it's more trouble and expense than it's worth. So I just wear contacts and choose my glasses, which Oakley's
0: probably, um, are they? I Jack? No, no jaw bones. Yeah. Jaw bones. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the latest ones, uh, I think like Garrett Thomas glasses, he's had the same ones for like 22 yeah. years. Um, I, I, I get it. He, he's, you know, if it ain't broke, <laughs> it works for him.
2: Nate, how about you? Um, I also do like Oakley's and I don't forget the name of the big, the big, huge ones that are kind of new. I like this too. I like those Sutra. on the yeah. mountain bike and I just switched to uh hundred percent for the road bike. These white ones, mm-hmm. I like how they look, and I think they they work pretty well. Uh, Yeah, and those are my my two. But the, if I use the hundred percent on the mountain bike, it like hurts my nose because the the helmet interaction is it pushes it down my helmet. And I don't know, but anyways, mm-hmm. Oakley's in hundred percent. So I think
0: I use. Oh, uh, go, season, go, on, go, go ahead, ahead please. All right. I was going to say you first. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> instead of making this about brands, I'm just going to kind of go on what I like in sunglasses. So I think. I'm pretty picky about not having them touch like my cheeks down here. So they have to sit off just far enough. They can't touch the eyebrows cause then sweat trips onto them. Um, have to have good ventilation. I like, to still have pretty good coverage from mud and, um, whatever else. Um, so I think you have to just try on different glasses and see what fits best for you. Like even within a certain brand, let's say like you want this one or that one, but like you have to pick, try on different, different models to see which one like isn't going to interfere. Like Nate said that hundred percent interfere with his helmet. So maybe you want to try a different hundred percent that doesn't interfere with your helmet. Um, so I think it kind of goes back to just fits so Everyone's so different. Like what might work for John isn't going to work for Nate and what might work for me isn't mm-hmm. going to work for Chad. So I think you have to just try on different ones and see which are going to fit the best. Um,
0: Big glasses are particularly trendy, but they're also heavy and they can also, if they don't fit very well, like Pete, do you remember this? in uh, when we were riding with Pete, Nate, Pete, like when he looks to the side, it, the wind blows his big, gigantic Oakley's off of his face because they just don't, no, they, the they're helmet. so heavy and big.
2: Yeah. It was, he put them yeah. up on his helmet.
0: No, they and fly that's... off of his head. I've been with really? him twice and they just fly oh. off of his head. Yeah. He did and mountain biking it. in particular, if they're heavy. They, it's terrible. They bounce and and fly all around.
2: He did this in Hawaii on a descent and, and, uh, the big island and we, that descent, we hit 45, 50. And so Pete's ahead of me and it flies off and he decides just to stop and do a U-turn without looking behind him. And I almost (laughs) T-boned him going like 45. Uh, so that's that's Always look behind yourself. You think you're cycling by yourself. There could be another Mm -hmm. rider back there. Uh, and he did it yeah. in the bike lane so I could go into the the road, but luckily there was no cars. Very scary. I
0: have I have two favorites, Oakley EV zero blade it's called, um, that, and that one doesn't sell very well. And I think they discontinued it actually, which really stinks, but they're it's because they're not gigantic, but they don't have a dip in the center, which I really like, cause then it doesn't transfer a bunch of air down into my eyes. And they're extremely light; like you do not even notice that they are on your head, and I really like that. Um, the other ones that I like too—they're a long-standing staple—is the Oakley Radar EV Path. They're like really tough to beat; um, they're really good. So, um, yeah, those are the ones that I like. Um, okay, last question, and this one's extremely important. Actually, you should go to forum.trainerroad.com and look up this episode; it's two ninety-six, and you can go on there and find where people have been sharing their power files from this. It's just pretty hilarious, but. Uh, John says I do 90% of my workouts outdoors. And over the last month I've been chased down uh, and bit by two different dogs. Hopefully you're okay. John, uh, he says, do you guys have any experience or tips on what to do in that situation? I've always been told to spray the dog with your water bottle. I tried that and it only seemed to make the dog more mad. Um, I got a tip. Yeah.
2: This is, I've seen people do this in group rides and when a dog is running at you, you yell at them with such force and authority. You're like. Get out of here! And you just yell extremely loud at them. It gives them this like they stop. Mm-hmm. They stop running for like a second or two, and that usually gives enough. But uh, when a dog like that is really challenged, I I, I don't know of all dogs, but there's probably some crazy mm-hmm. dogs, that won't. But they 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 back down for a second because it's so loud and out of the normal, and they don't get screamed at that. So if you just scream, I would scream <clears> as loud as you could, as forcefully at the dog.
0: Yeah, Chad, you're nodding. Uh, do you have some percent this?
3: Yep, yeah, that, that's what I do. I was originally told to stop pedaling and, and, and that's fine if you're sailing down a hill, but the, <laughs> the idea of, of the foot, it's like you're dangling it in front of them and then yanking it away, dangling it and yanking it. So the, the, the logic there is that they keep on trying to nip at you. So you stop pedaling. again, unless you're rolling down a hill, (laughs) it just doesn't seem very intuitive to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's it's, that's somebody probably didn't like you. They told you that one. Yeah. Right. So, um, (laughs) number one, don't be the last one in the group. That's the best thing that you can do. If you're with a group of riders, (laughs) just don't be last. Try to sprint ahead of somebody. And then you're in the clear, um, don't throw things at the dogs. Don't try to unclip and kick the dog. I've seen that. And that's basically just like here, dog, here's my leg, go ahead and go for it. That's a terrible idea. And don't you don't want to hurt the dog too? Um, ride faster is number one. If you look, people have been sharing their power <laughs> profiles and they're doing outside workouts, and it's like dog, it's just like a huge <laughs> spike <laughs> where it hits. Um, so go on there and share your dog po- power profiles. A bunch of people are doing it. Um, I had actually not a dog, but it was a sooty grouse. They're like a small, like pheasant type bird that we have in the Sierra. And I had my headphones in like this and it was on transparent mode, but I couldn't hear the tiny bird. I just felt something like absolutely like sharp stab my ankle. And I looked down, it was this bird just pecking my ankle like crazy. So I had to like (laughs) get away from a bird. So it does happen. Um, Keegan, uh, do you have tips on this, what to do with dogs? Um, so with Nate's yelling thing, I
1: think that works pretty well when they're like domestic dogs. Are they like, it's a, if it's in a neighborhood or whatever. Um, but train down here in Tucson, you ride through some areas and there's like some just wild dogs. Like they don't, I don't think they have a home per se. They're just like wild res dogs. And I think with those, the yelling strategy doesn't work. Cause they don't care. They're just like, they're just out. They're just out <laughs> to get you. <laughs> um, so I think generally trying to outrun them is the best, like the first course of action. Um, and then I also big spraying them in the face always works for me. Like if you can hit them straight in the face with a stream of water, they normally take off. Um, Mm. or if you know those dogs are going to be there, like there's a certain ride here, the dogs are pretty much always there and you know, you're going to get chased. Um, you can carry an extra water bottle, make sure you have enough water squirt at them. Um, you can just, Try and plan your route differently if you know the dogs are always there. That's another good strategy. Um, <laughs> but I'm personally just a fan of just trying to get away as fast as possible. I and mean, just like maybe accelerate through where you know the dogs are going to be, and just try yep. and get ready to go. And like Jonathan mentioned, you don't know, if you're riding with someone else, you'll be faster than the dogs. you would be faster than whoever you're riding with. So that's it. That's really what it
3: every man for himself. <laughs> Poor Sophia. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and and Sorry, I think the last thing with this too. I was riding with a friend of mine who was a veterinarian and we had a dog chase us and he like, I don't know if he had this because, uh, so Chad, Chad's fiance is also a veterinarian and she has this magical touch with, with animals period. But like our dogs just like love her as their vet. They're super happy. They're actually excited to go to the vet because she has this vet touch. So I don't know if he had this, but he spoke extremely nicely to the dog and the dog seemed like confused by it it was chasing after us and he was just like hey pup and was like really nice to the dog and the dog like stopped it was like i guess like he diffused the situation with niceness so i don't know if you want to try that that's kind of a risky one but not as risky as chad's tip of stopping pedaling so i, wouldn't stop <laughs> you I would you can just try
2: with the try that with the wild dogs just be like hey, pup <laughs> <laughs> and see
0: if they stop <laughs> <laughs> see if it works out ride my um, denim that yeah. yeah, seriously, where can people, uh, follow you and see everything that you're going to be doing this year?
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, the best place is probably, uh, Instagram at Kegels 99. I'm generally pretty good about keeping that updated and I think I'm okay about replying to you. If I don't reply right away, I'm sorry. I, I just forgot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Strava is also good. If I could see kind of what I'm up to training wise, that's I put all my numbers on there. Everything is open. I don't hide anything. So if you're curious, kind of what I'm doing about the tempo or uh, whatever else you can go look for yourself and see what's going on. Um, Yeah. I think those are kind of the two best places.
0: Awesome. We're going to have you on throughout the year as well, by the way. Um, so you'll be a, a regular, uh, a semi-regular guest, I should say on the podcast, joining us at different times. So looking forward to it and looking forward to a good year for you. Thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. And thanks everybody for joining us here live on YouTube. If you're watching now, give us a thumbs up. If you enjoyed the podcast, that's going to help other cyclists find it. And it'd be super helpful. If you did that other helpful things that you can do is you can go to train and you can check it out, sign up, refer your friends, get them to do that. And subscribe to this podcast. You can do that. Actually, you hit the subscribe thing and then you can make it. So it auto downloads. Then you don't miss the episode when you're halfway through a long ride and you're out of cell service, you can still listen to it. So, uh, do all that stuff and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks, Thanks everybody.